You are listening to SNA Live, a podcast like no other. Now your host, Three the Hard Way. What's good, cigar fam, and welcome to SNA Live, the podcast not just about cigars and cigar lounges, but life in general. Because if you're smoking cigars with your peoples in a nice lounge and only talking about cigars, you've missed the whole motherfucking point. As always, we're recording from Smoking Ashes Cigars and Haberdashery, the newest, hottest cigar lounge in the Northeast. With me, as always, are my partners, Malik and Ryan. Say what's up to the people. Yo, yo, what's going on? What's going on, everybody? Too blessed to be stressed. Yes, sir. This is episode number seven, entitled, I'm a Businessman. So let me just take a couple seconds and explain that title. So if you don't get the reference, it's from the Jay-Z and Kanye West song, Diamonds Are Forever, when Jay-Z says, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman. So basically what we're talking about today is your own personal business, your personal finance, um, banking, things of that nature, your credit. So today's topic specifically, topic number one, personal finance. And with that, we're gonna have a guest speaker, Mr. Barry Queen, Vice President of Taylor Insurance and Financial Services. Topic number two, we're going to talk about. That's, he was called, that was a caller calling in. Don't worry about ah, it. Okay, okay. They're, they're a little early. Yeah, a little, a little early. early. Go ahead. Topic number two, generational curses. And speaking on that, we have a, a guest as well, Dr. Keenan Davis, founder of One Institution, an enterprise geared towards promoting social awareness. Topic number three, we're going to be talking about banking for people in the hood. Topic number four, seeing past your immediate environment that might you, you might be living in at the current time. And last but not least, topic number five, moving from the hood to the suburbs. <laughs> and with that being said, as usual, cut your stick, light them up, and let's get it popping. Welcome to SNLA Live, a podcast like no other. Featuring three the hard way. You you want it, you got it. Yes, yes. Back with another episode full of jewels for y'all. We really enjoy sharing our insights and our opinions with y'all. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love to do it. So now is the perfect time to get your stick, get your seat, get your spot. Let's rock. Welcome to episode number seven, entitled, I'm a business man. So before we get into today's topics, as usual, we're going to talk about what we're smoking during the episode. So, Rob, I'm going to let you kick it off. You know, <clears throat> I'm going to keep this brief. I don't think I have a lot to have. I don't have to say a lot with this. Uh, tonight, I am smoking an LFD Chapter 1. Um, pretty much dropped the mic right there. If you know about cigars, then you know that's... Uh, LFD, they, 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 you know what it is for me with them? The construction of their cigars Like there's just something With the construction yeah, Of their cigars definitely, that, definitely. You know they're just built For smoking Yeah they built you know? they built different 
Yeah, they really are. It's like yeah. the Rolls Royces of. Yeah, I was just you know about what I mean? to say when you of, step inside a Honda Civic, you know the difference when you step inside <laughs> something else that was hand built yeah, and not just on true. an assembly line. But this is definitely a full body gem. I mean, I, again, I'm just a fan of their construction. Their their tobacco is top notch, and again, I don't have to say much for it, man. Malik, how about you, man? What are you What are you smoking tonight? So I'm smoking another first. You know me. I like to do I like to do ones I haven't smoked before. So I'm smoking the Tatuaje uh, Broadleaf. This is an oldie, but but goodie. I'm surprised I've never had this. Um, big fan of Tatuaje. I haven't smoked too many of theirs in a while. But um, yeah, this is a Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper, which like knows me knows that's my favorite wrapper, mm-hmm. Broadleaf. Um, so yeah, this is gonna be a nice one. This is a Churchill, I believe. Yeah, this is a Churchill. So. It should last the whole show, so uh, I'm gonna sit back and enjoy this. Nice, nice. How about you, Conway? Conway, what are you smoking on today? So I have the the tea by it's a, it's actually a combo um, by three cigar makers: Matt Booth, Caldwell, and AJ Fernandez. And AJ yeah. Fernandez, I think I've mentioned this before on the ep- on one of the episodes that AJ Fernandez is one of my my favorite cigar uh, producers. Um, but yeah, this is a, so. This was a combo joint that they did. So they have two versions. They have the Connecticut, and then they have the Maduro. So I'm smoking the Maduro today. I've had the Connecticut before, and it's an amazing, amazing daytime smoke. I believe this is my first time having the Maduro though. Oh, you so enjoy that. You yeah, enjoy yeah. So I, I just lit it up. I took a couple of pulls, and I, you know, not to say that it's definitive or determinative right off the bat. If you take a you know a nice pull, that it's like you know gonna be a, an amazing cigar but so far so good now i have to interject that's like when you kiss the special one for the first time <laughs> you know it's different you know that one is different though when you kiss the no, first but, time but, but what i'm basically saying is just because it's not crazy on the first no 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 i get it pulls, you don't have to but yeah, i mean let's yeah. just be realistic yeah the special ones stand out from first kiss you're right <laughs> i'm you're just right. being real because last episode i had the andalusian bowl and right and from the jump right off the bat i was you like you this knew. is some different shit like i'm getting something similar to like that with this one yeah. right here as well yeah yeah so that's so I, I, I it, not that it won't build up to it but i just you know and that one when you light it and from jump yeah you mm-hmm. know like where have you been all my life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i've only had that experience maybe a handful of times a handful of Same times with me. the the liga the liga nine provider the um andalusian bowl the padron 1964 series and probably the underground <laughs> that's your favorite <laughs> no, nah, when's the last time I smoked the Underground? Yo, it's though? been a minute, yo. yo it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I, I, I moved on from that. <laughs> you moved on. I, I moved on from you that a long time them, ago. That was a, that was a jump off, yo. No, that was that was definitely a staple for for a minute. It was the jump off. Yeah, man. no, definitely. But it wasn't. But it wasn't that that level of holy shit. This is amazing. And he had two it was shades. Just, yeah, he had two, he had two shades of jump off. <laughs> he jumped off with the with the with the with the Connecticut, and then he'll hit you with the Maduro later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so let's talk about what we're what we're uh, sipping on to accompany our cigars. So we have Highland Queen Majesty, which is a 15-year single malt Scotch. Now, the thing about Scotch is people are gonna have their go-tos and be like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's McAllen, there's Glenlivet, there's Glenfiddich, and the thing I've realized about scotch and bourbons is you can have some small batch companies make some amazing scotches and bourbons so just because you see something on the shelf that's not like a a name brand that you recognize 
Don't sleep on it. Yeah. You know? And we're big for that. We yeah. like to try yeah, different we'll try uh, yeah. boozes, and the same thing goes with our cigars. Definitely. We definitely will try, you know, and that's what we predicate ourselves off of, you know, with our humidor selection. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. people walk in. I, I've heard people that, you know, will walk in and sit there and go, yeah, I haven't heard like a lot of these. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a bad thing no, for us. No, it's no, more just no. like this good for you. Definitely. You know what I mean? Now you have an opportunity. So to- I think what it does also, it at first it makes people question our judgment as to like if you're not a if you're not a veteran cigar smoker, like you're gonna see a lot of names that you don't readily recognize. So people are like, I don't understand like what this is like what what is all this? So then I take pride in the, in telling the customer, oh, this is you know, we we purposely select small batch brands mm-hmm. so that people can experience something new yeah. and then when we suggest something and they come back to us like yo that was that was a good that idea. shit was yo that shit was on point and it's like yeah we know what the fuck we're doing over here yeah. at smoking ashes 200 wall raven drive t-neck new jersey 07666 yeah, i was waiting for it <laughs> there it goes there it goes. No, but it's true though. And I actually enjoy the faces of, the, of our customers that come back after we recommend them something, yeah. and they actually really enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. You know, because now it's like I feel like you have broken your chains. Exactly. Because listen, smoking cigars can be expensive. Let's just yeah. be real. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it's yeah. a, it's it's an expensive habit. Yeah, it's not for the broke motherfucker. No, it's not. It's definitely not. So if you get into something, you don't when you spend fifteen or sixteen dollars on a cigar. You want to enjoy it. You. Especially Bill, if it's something new and you haven't had before, yeah. you're always leery. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you actually hit on one and, you know, your heart fills with like some, some mm-hmm. sense of pride, you know, you enjoy it more. And Definitely. Definitely. It's just a good feeling to see and then, enjoy it. And then to follow up on that, not only will they come back for what you recommended the first time. They'll say, hey, remember what you recommended last time? Let me get that and give me another, give me another recommendation. Exactly. Because yeah. yep. that's what happens. Once yeah. they fall in love and they trust you mm-hmm. and they know that there's a candy store to choose from back there, they will let you go. Yeah. Like and we are motherfucking Willy Wonka. Yeah, real talk. <laughs> Malik, you talk about that, though. You say that all the time. That's one of your favorite things. Being so in I here. was just about to tell a story that happened today. A gentleman came here today and... Um, he would ask for the original one that I put him on to, which is a very, actually, I'll, I'll, it was the Black Label, the Salvation. Mm-hmm. He had never knew anything about Black Label Trading Company, the Salvation. He loved it. So every time he comes in here, he, he buys two or three of them. So I gave him another recommendation last, last week. So he came and said, let me get the Salvation. I'm like, sorry. I said, listen, it, it's, on, you know, it's on back order. It should be here tomorrow. He's like, all right, then give me that other one you recommended me last week. So I gave him those. And then he said, you know what? Matter of fact. Give me something new. Give me something else that you can recommend. So now, obviously, the next time he comes in, mm-hmm. I'm going to be excited and just waiting for, you know, his to, response. See, to see what his experience was. But I definitely love to see that when they come back and they just say, you know what? That was a great recommendation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That that, that, helped. that hurts. So I, I had one, too. <clears throat> you mentioned Salvation, just really yeah. quick. Yeah. We have, I had another customer that fall, he fell in love with Salvation, came the other day. Like you said, we just ran out. Mm-hmm. He let me pick. So I sent him right away with the Eastern Standard, oh, yeah. mm. and I gave him the the Wise Man Natural. That's exactly mm. what I just gave that gentleman. I gave him the Eastern Standard. Yo, that's such an easy segue <laughs> into the next level. Like that that cigar to me right you can't there. Can't go wrong with that. No, cigar. you can't. Especially if you're like, I don't want to call you know, you're you're jumping tiers. Yeah, definitely. You know, and you're starting definitely. to you know expand your palate. Yeah. And you're starting to you know explore a little bit more. I think the the Eastern Standard, since it's so flavorful, it's not abrasive. Mm. 
you know, it's such an easy way to segue into start, you know, and you can smoke that any time of the day. Also. You can, yeah, you really can. Yeah, it's not it's not too harsh that you can't smoke it during the day, but it's just got got just enough punch that if you want to end the day with it, mm-hmm. it's perfect for that too. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it, it's definitely versatile in that way. Definitely. They have a they have two lines to that one. We're gonna have to get the second one. Yeah, I know. You had mentioned that before. Yeah, it's like I a Maduro. I, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. I can't wait to try that one. Because I'm sure, like whatever, they obviously know what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Caldwell makes great stuff. Caldwell definitely yeah. knows what he's doing. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Speaking of Caldwell, so now that this uh, tea is opening up, meaning the the name of the cigar is the tea. Uh, now that it's opening up, yo, this is this is on point. Yeah, yeah. And they I, hit they hit they hit a home run with that. Yeah, one. no, they, they definitely did. They definitely did. Caldwell makes some amazing cigars. Like I said, AJ Fernandez, one of my favorite. Uh, cigar makers um, So yeah This is definitely on point It's going It's pairing beautifully With the scotch I, I can say the same With this thing This thing is um, I don't even it, it looks like a Ferrari Right now dude. You know You know um, If you recall Remember Papa Juan's Made the chisel mm-hmm. Your house blend Yes 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 So The box me, press one right Yes Yeah. But it had the chisel tip Yeah So this mm-hmm. LFD chapter one Is the similar yeah. Like construction mm-hmm. The same size And everything mm-hmm. So that's why I fell, also fell in love with um, Papa Juan's because they're the construction of his cigars also yeah. for a, a, like a, ho- a house blend yeah, is beyond just that of a house blend. If, if for those listening, we are not talking about Papa John's Pizza Spot. We're talking about Papa, Papa Juan's, Juan's yeah. Cigar Lounge <laughs> in the BX Borough yes. on Gerard Avenue near Yankee Stadium. Yeah, Correct. Go check them out. For yeah, if, you, if you're in the Bronx, um, Obviously, with the quarantine and the pandemic and everything, people can't actually go inside Papa Wands right now. But definitely one of the more chill, relaxed, cool experiences as far as cigar lounges in the New York metropolitan area. And I'm not ashamed to say, you know, when we did Smoking Ashes, you know, Papa Wands was one of the places that we said to ourselves, if we can get a vibe like that. Yeah, absolutely. In here, sure. Without a doubt. We, we definitely are winning. Without a, doubt. Without a doubt Definitely go check out Francis Great spot And Junior out there In the Bronx They got a great spot man. And they're bugging out too They got the outside seating now too Yeah, so yeah. Right on Gerard Ave Go check it out Great selection So let's jump into Topic number one We have a, a, a guest call That we're gonna call in a, in a couple of minutes But before we do Let's just talk about You know The, the general topic Of what he's gonna be Talking about Which is personal finance so our our guest speaker is a financial advisor uh, Barry Queen he's the vice president of Taylor Insurance and Financial Services Um, but before we get him on the phone let's just talk about personal finance in in general Um, and just from my own personal I guess vantage point or viewpoint um, and, and not to reference number 45 but America as a country is all about business and, and, and it's, it's it's beneficial to business owners and corporations just as a as a country the way we just operate so it doesn't matter if you are an entrepreneur and a business owner or you're working for somebody your personal finance is your personal business and you definitely need to mind yours meaning you need to pay attention to it you need to learn the rules learn the rules to the game so that you can not get caught up fall behind um, and actually succeed. So we're talking about things like your credit, we're talking about things like, you know, not falling behind in debt. We're talking about things like 
uh, tax benefits with respect mm-hmm. to real estate purchases and things of that nature. Um, and businesses too. And, and yes, indefinitely. So like I was saying before, even if you're not a business mm-hmm. owner and you work for somebody, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have a, a 401k, you're going to have a 403b. Like learn about that stuff because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, no one's going to care about your pockets as much as you do. Absolutely. And most of those big companies too also carry stock options. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's a secure way if you're scared of the market and you work for a Fortune 500 company that's going to match your stock purchases yeah. and up to a certain amount, man, jump on that. I, I was a big advocate for that when I worked for Con Ed. Yep. That company in particular, they had like 37 consecutive years of returning dividends. Holy shit. So Wow. Okay. We got to think about it though. They're the power company to the to the, the city of the world. Yeah, yeah. You understand? So yeah. the money in there is really long. Yeah. So their company is always going to come in with good dividends. So, I mean, I used to always buy their stock option because they matched you, you know, pretty well. Before you know it, you know, it's not, and it doesn't fluctuate too much with the market. So buy into stock plans if you're in a good company that has secure and make sure their dividends are coming back every year. And, you know, it's another outlet for you to, like Conway said, if you don't own a business, you can go into investing yourself. And here's another misconception about investing. A lot of people believe that you have to have a lot of money in order to invest in the stock market. That's not true. So obviously, you know, I used to be a financial advisor. I was in banking for about 15 years. And I've had customers who make $30,000 a year. And I force them to start saving, putting money aside. And even if it's $25 every week from your yeah. your uh your checking account and putting into the into your investment account that's starting you know what i mean that eventually builds and over over you know uh years it it can turn into something then when it gets to a substantial amount then obviously you can start doing a little bit more but don't feel like you need to be like wealthy or or have a six-figure salary in order to invest in the market that's not true that's that's definitely a big big lay a brick at a time it's it's called compound interest yes Yes. or even even more technical dollar cost averaging yes watch also what you definitely look that up look that up google it so let's try to get uh sure we shouldn't have called this the google edition (laughs) (laughs) let's try to get barry on the line so we can uh, introduce this brother so this is one of those episodes that you may need to take your pen out Get your notebook out and really pay attention. Definitely, definitely. Hello. Hey, Barry, you there, brother? I'm here. Welcome to SNA Live, brother. Thank you. So. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, brother. So with me uh, are my partners in crime and in business, <laughs> Malik and Ryan. Hey, what's, what's going on, Barry? How's it going, brother? So I'm uh, going well. How are you guys doing? Well, can't complain. And you know what's funny? Nobody's there to listen anyway. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Barry, so we were uh, talking about personal finance um, in, in general just uh, before you came on. And just kind of giving our, our two cents. And uh, Malik actually used to be a financial advisor in another life. In another life, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't miss it at all, brother. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So, um, before we get into the the questions that we have for you, why don't you just talk about a little about about Taylor Insurance and financial services and your role with them? Sure. So, um, again, uh, thank you guys for having me on this evening. 
Uh, my name is Barry Queen. I've been in the industry for almost 12 years now. I've worked in a variety of different uh, aspects uh, aspects of the financial industry. But right now, I'm the regional vice president of Taylor Insurance and Financial Services, which is essentially uh, an independently owned insurance and financial planning uh, firm. Uh, we do uh, life insurance, disability insurance, long-term care. We also do uh, financial planning, and we manage assets for a variety of different types of clients. Okay, okay. And I am based here in uh, in New York City. Uh, we have our home office, which is in Pasadena, California, and we just brought on uh, two new team two, two new teammates. So we actually have an office in. Uh, Northern Virginia now, and we have an office down in Florida. Congrats, brother! Congrats! Yeah, congratulations! Awesome. Because the last time we spoke, it was just uh, New York, and uh, I knew y'all, y'all were by coastal, but now you guys are taking over the yeah. South now too. Well, yeah, yeah, we're taking off the South. We're trying to stay away from that coronavirus, though. Guys, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you know, we're trying. that's the plan right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your, your people's yeah. out of Florida. Tell him, you know, don't don't leave the crib. <laughs> absolutely absolutely he's actually a young lady so oh, okay uh, we got some diversity man it's, yeah yeah uh, my, my bad cool, man. my bad for assuming <laughs> nah it's okay no problem no problem so if you could just tell us you know for people who are listening you know we, we were talking about um you know you don't necessarily uh you know need to be rich to have a, a financial advisor so can you just kind of give us the baseline and tell us, you know, what exactly does a, a financial advisor do? Simply put, a financial advisor gives someone the information to make an educated decision. Um, I think uh, if that's the easiest explanation I can give you of what a financial advisor does. I see you're agreeing with that, Malik. What yeah, I, I definitely agree. That's that's actually a good a good answer. I've never heard that before, but um, I, I like that answer. Um, what would you say are the biggest obstacles in in your, uh, in your in your profession that you come across? I think the greatest obstacle is building trust with people. Um, you know, a lot of people have had a lot of different experiences, good or bad. And so, you know, when you're when you're working with someone or you're trying to work with someone, it's it's like dating in in a sense. You know, you have to. You have to find out, you know, what the interest, what the interests are of that individual. You know, what matters to them, what doesn't matter, and you have to find out if there's some level of synergy there. Because no matter how qualified the person is, when I say person, I'm referring to the advisor. No matter what their qualifications are, no matter how intelligent they are, at the end of the day, if the person they're speaking to does not trust them, if they don't perceive them to be an expert in, in whatever the subject matter is that they're seeking advice. Uh, about then, then you know you're kind of going in a different direction, and and what what will end up happening is there'll be a lot of friction in relationships, and even if the value is there, it's because the trust isn't there, and because there's there's no synergy, oftentimes you know nothing really ends up lasting. If that person does business with you, you know they won't stay with you, or they'll they'll second guess some of the advice that you give them. Or, um, you know, you just won't really be able to extract the information that you need to get from the client because it's not always what's said, it's what's not spoken that you have to really be able to perceive when you're doing business with people and when you're getting to know people. 
uh, because sometimes people are not able to clearly articulate what their thoughts are, what their goals are, what their fears are, what their dreams are. And I think it's incumbent upon you to really understand the person you're talking to enough to extract that information from them over time. So speaking of trust, I'm sure when stories break, like on ESPN, when you hear Michael Vick's financial advisor stole millions and millions of dollars from him, I'm sure that doesn't necessarily help the public perception of what the financial advisor does because all you hear is the negative in terms of the media with respect to oh this person trusted their financial advisor and that financial advisor ran off with their money so do you come across that in terms of distrust from people who you're courting as a, as a new client I have I have and to be honest with you it's actually one of the major reasons why I got in the industry by nature I'm a protector so it, I'm naturally always trying to protect someone and this is a perfect business for me because I understand that there's a lot of people that have not been protected that have been taken advantage of Michael Vick is one of those individuals and there are many others that are unnamed and what I've tried my best to do is over time to build the trust and also to make sure that I have the proper credentials to represent myself as a financial advisor because I oftentimes think that clients think they're engaging with a financial advisor when really they're just engaging with a salesperson who's mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to get them to do something so they can make a buck. And there's no really fiduciary responsibility uh, that the advisor is held to. So ultimately, they are able to get away with certain things that weren't in the best interest of the person that they were working with. Um, and, and that's where it gets a little tricky is that you, if you're going to work with an advisor, you want to make sure they're fiduciary. You want to make sure they have the proper credentials. And you also want to check, you know, the references of that person. You want to, you want to kind of see who they've worked with, um, you know, what the track record looks like. And, and then ultimately use your gut, you know, at the end of the day. And I think for the most part, I've done a good job of, of kind of checking all those boxes with the people I work with. And speaking of the people you work with, can you just tell us some of the types of people that you advise so people can kind of get a feel of like who your your client base is so they can think to themselves, oh, well, you know, he's probably some, you know, this fancy guy and probably deals with just doctors and lawyers. And I'm not, you know, one of those type of people. So he probably wouldn't be for me. That's a good question. So full disclosure. I was raised by a single mother in a one-bedroom apartment that was 500 square feet. Uh, I'm one of the very few people in my in my family that's going to college, and so I come from very humble means. And with that said, um, you know I, I talk to and I have spoken to in the past just about anybody that's looking for advice. Now, over time, that's evolved, um, and actually, with the way I started my business, when I was very, very in the very beginning. Uh, well over 10 years ago, I would actually speak to uh, small business owners. I would walk into 30 small businesses a day and introduce myself. And um, I would work with the receptionist and then eventually get to the senior level manager and then eventually get to the CEO of the company. Um, And over time, that's evolved to the point where now um, I have clients that are professional athletes. I have doctors. I have entertainers. Um, I have people who just worked really hard, you know, for 30 years and they saved up money and now they're retired and they're trying to figure out how to live off that money. Um, I've worked with guardians of, of individuals that have unfortunately 
uh, you know, been, you know, been, been disabled uh, based on some type of incident happening and they have large settlements and, I, and I'm working with the Guardian to make sure that they're okay and that that money lasts. Um, I've worked with, with people who represent estates uh, for people who have, have left large lump sums of money. I've worked with nonprofit organizations. I mean, I've, I've pretty much worked with everyone. <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you so, so who do I work with yeah. you know I work with everyone so basically from from the bus driver to the professional sports athlete and everybody in between I have absolutely so I think that's important though yeah no, it, so it, that people know yeah. you know because not everyone feels like you said earlier that they can have a financial planner Yeah Because it sounds It sounds fancy It sounds something That's above what I'm used to My yeah. dad never did My uncles never had this exactly. I've never heard this term mm-hmm. Only with white people In movies Just to be honest Yeah And you know Just not mm-hmm. you know Seeing you know Someone close to you Doing it you just or, see. or if it's people of color Once again athletes Athletes Let me correct, correct you Really quick Because a lot of people um, Get this confused He's an advisor Versus a planner Those are two different things mm-hmm. Am I correct You're an advisor Correct I am an advisor, yeah. correct. Okay. No, so it, it's it's just a planner goes a little bit more in depth. Like a planner actually puts comes up with a budget for you and budgets your money for you like consistently. An advisor, like he I said, I do that as well. Oh, you do do. Okay, I, do I just wanted well. to make See, sure. That's yeah, what I thought I got well. from him. Okay. That's why I okay. said that yeah. to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Okay. Yeah, I do that as well. Some yeah, some he, of my clients. So just so you know, some yeah. of my clients that I work with. I only provide advice to them. So I don't actually don't do anything but give them advice. Some of my clients come to me and they say, I already have something in place. I already have the advisor, but I need a second opinion. I need you to stress test everything that I've done up to this point. And it makes me aware of any areas of vulnerability in the planning that I've done. And so at the end of that process, if they've done, if they needed to do 10 things, then I'll affirm the eight things that they did, but I'll also make them aware of the two things they need to do to improve their plan. That's and awesome. so that That's in awesome. that relationship, I'm purely planning in that particular gotcha. relationship. So you, you go you go above and beyond, which is great. That's good to hear. So yeah, Barry, let, let me ask you yeah. something, and, and please let me know if this is not exactly within your wheelhouse. But uh, a common theme that I'll see from you know people of limited means or people of, of color um, who are not well versed in just finances in general. Um, they think credit cards are nothing but trouble. You know, stay away from them because you know that'll that'll get you, you know, in in, in serious yeah. debt. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you can speak to, it's like the boogeyman. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If you could speak to why do you think or not think that credit in general is important? Absolutely, credit is leverage, and you know, leverage is very important for a variety of different reasons. In certain circumstances, you don't want to actually pay full price for anything. Sometimes you want to borrow money uh, and you want to use discounted dollars so that you can, like, for example, maybe you want to buy an investment property and you don't ever see yourself paying the full value of that property today, but you want to be in a position where you can actually take ownership of the property now. Now, you still would have a mortgage in that particular example, but maybe you see that the property is going to appreciate in value at some point down the road. And maybe in the next three to five years, so you're able to borrow from a bank and you're able to go ahead and, and, and get that property today and maybe the property is only worth $200,000 or $300,000. But because you have good credit, you can actually go to a bank and you can get that property and then maybe in three to five years it appreciates and you can sell it. 
for for multiple and and that's an example of just why you need to have good credit because you're not gonna in that particular example it wouldn't be wise to if you could to avoid it you it wouldn't be wise if you took all of that money out of your pocket and paid for that property today maybe you didn't have two to three hundred thousand dollars cash but you had a good name and you had credit you had leverage and and so you were able to do that in terms of credit cards i think what what happens for us is that we hear about some of, so many of the bad experiences that people have had with credit uh, credit cards specifically. And so that kind of scares us into saying that, you know what, we don't need credit cards. And I, I can tell you this, that the first thing that I, I try to explain to people about credit is, first of all, do you know how your credit score is determined? And most people don't know that. So I'll, I'll give you guys a, a formula that, that your, your listeners would appreciate. So I want you to remember 30, 35, 30, 15, and 10. All right, that equals 100. So I'm going to explain what that means. So 35% of your FICO score is based on your payment history. Okay? Purely your payment history. 30% of your credit score or your FICO score uh, is based on the amount that you owe. Right? So if you have a credit card and let's say the balance on the credit card is $700 and the limit is $1,000. So now you, in that particular example, you owe 70% of that limit, yeah. right? And a rule of thumb is that you don't want to owe more than 30% of any outstanding lines of credit that you have, right? So 30% of your credit score is just based on the amounts that you owe. Now, 15% of your credit score is based on your the length of your credit history. So it's important in, let's say, if, if you're afraid of credit cards, but you're young and, you know, you're 21 years old, you're 22 years old, and you want to kind of start to establish credit, the length of your credit history, which represents 15% of your score, is very important. So the earlier that you start to establish credit, the better. Yes. 10% of your credit score is based on new credit. So every time you establish new credit, that actually affects your score by 10%. And then finally, 10% of your score is based off of credit mix. So if you have credit cards, if you have auto loans, if you have student loans, if you have a mortgage, if you have a variety of these different types of credit, that helps your credit score. So the reason why it's important to understand credit and why it's important to have credit cards is because really, to be honest with you, you need leverage in life to, in my opinion, achieve the type of success that you're probably going to achieve. And only money is money, and it's not always it's not always important or valuable to part with money. If you can use someone else's dollars, I think that's where you can put yourself in a position where you can you can have a compounding effect on the amount of money that you put aside or you invest or that you put away for the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm a very big proponent of OPM, other people's money. So just so Barry, just so people are very clear, the the second. I should say the first 10% that you mentioned in terms of new credit affecting your credit score, mm-hmm. affecting it negatively or positively, just so people are clear. Positively. So these factors would have positively affect your score. Now, it, when I say positive, let me be clear. Let me a little bit, be a little bit more clear. If you are consistently opening up new accounts mm-hmm. over time, that can have a negative impact. Yes on your credit score so if let's say you open you get an auto loan and then you get a credit card and then you have another credit card which is a new inquiry on your credit report and then you go get another credit card if you continue to do that over time that actually would would put you in a position where that would be negative 
Um, but generally speaking, any new credit that you establish is a positive because what that reflects is that that an, uh, an organization trusted you enough to lend you money. Gotcha. A financial institution trusted you enough. So they're willing to extend credit to you, which suggests that you are a trustworthy bar. Gotcha, gotcha. And one last question, Barry. So people are listening right now or are going to be listening because we're recording right now and they're going to say to themselves well i'm not some like big money person you know um i can't budget based on x amount of dollars that i'm making because I'm, I'm you know stretching myself to the limit so what do you say to people who are in that position who don't feel like they have a lot of excess or disposable income um so i'm going to give them two tips uh the first tip and, and I'm glad that uh, you asked that question because that's the question I get asked a lot. Mm. First of all, you don't want uh, any more than 20% of your net income to be paid out in the form of any kind of revolving debt that you have. So credit cards, um, any kind of auto loans, any revolving debt. You don't want more than 20% of your income to go towards any kind of revolving debt. You don't want more than 28% of your gross income to go towards your overall housing costs. So your mortgage, your rent, uh, utilities, you don't want more than 28% to go towards that factor. And then finally, you don't want more than 36% of your of your expenses combined, housing and any revolving debt. You don't want that to represent more than 36% of your gross income. Gotcha. The reason why I'm telling you all of that, the reason why I'm telling you those numbers uh, if you remember them, 20, 28, 36. It's because it really doesn't matter what you make. It's really about what you keep. Mm, I can't right. tell you how many people I've, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that make a million dollars a year. But if I go, if I went through each category with you, the 20% of their revolving debt, right? Mm. That, that number rep, for them is 36% or 40%. Right. And, 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 and they're trying to figure out why they make a million dollars a year, but they don't have anything to show for it. Yeah. Right. I can't I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that make 50, 40 thousand dollars a year and believe it or not, have more to show for it than someone making three or four <laughs> times that number. So it's not necessarily so, how much so you're making it's, it's what you're doing. It's with not it. about how much you make. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's about structure. It's about systems. It, it's OK that. You know, you don't think that you make a lot of money, but that's relative. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to clients and they're like, look, Barry, I need you to help me and my family. We don't have a lot of money, uh, but I need you to try to tell me what to do with my money and how to invest it. And that person has $100,000. Then I have another call uh, 20 minutes later when someone says, Barry, I need you to help me and my family. We don't have a lot of money. Uh, we're kind of behind. I need you to help. I need you to help me invest, and they've got seven hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> right? It's relative. It's relative. Yeah. Everyone's version of a little is relative. Yes, wholeheartedly. So, Barry, man, we appreciate the time. Um, it, tell people who are listening how do they get in contact with you if they wanted to reach out. Sure. So, I'll give my email. It's uh, B as boy B Queen Q U E N at Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R-I-N-S, as in Sam, S-I-N.com. That's my email address. You can email me there. You can also go on our website, which is www.taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R-I-N-S, F-I-N.com. 
Barry, man, we appreciate your time, brother. Thank you for the jewels that you dropped. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. You're welcome. And on a personal note, I'll be reaching out to you soon, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, brother. All right, Barry, have a good night, man. All right, bro. So that was Barry Queen of Taylor Insurance and Financial Services. That was giving, a great call. Yeah, that was an amazing that was call. Great, like that was a great yeah, call. That's I why actually I, sat here. Yeah, I was writing. Stuff, I was writing things down. And it's just I've, I've been in the business, but I still was writing. You forget some of this yeah, stuff. Man. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why I. I, I that was a great yeah. call. And for anyone and everyone who is listening, you just were blessed with some jewels right there Definitely. and if you were scared to go this route before or if you had reluctancy mm. to you know experiment a little bit and try to expand your personal growth i would hope that some of the stuff that you heard now put some things in perspective put you at ease and kind of calmed you down yeah. because like you heard what he said he had families that had 30 to 50 grand yeah. you know that they were they had made in a year whatever the case is with mm. their salary that they were doing better than people three four times more than that amount yeah because people yo there's a lot of millionaires living paycheck to paycheck yes they are don't let them fool you yes yeah, they are because you know all of a sudden it's like well I'm making a million dollars so I gotta get the Bentley <sighs> gotta get the mansion yeah. I gotta get the vacation home yeah before you know it you're doling out like 20 stacks 25 stacks a month just to play bills exactly exactly that's why it's gonna last for so long yeah that's real talk that's real talk and 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 that's if you're not even living like a crazy life that's not including oh man gotta hit the strip club every weekend you know what i'm saying about it like and dinners eating out all the time exactly you know and now all of a sudden instead of having a glass or or something or a drink now you're ordering the bottle exactly you know and now you're sitting there longer and you're having appetizers steak dinners and lobsters and everything it just gets crazy after a while you know what's sad though i'd see individuals today that live like that for no reason when they should be taking some of their hard-earned money and actually putting it into something to build long-term change in exactly. your life, create a lineage exactly. for real for your family. Like getting that four thousand dollar a month rent of an apartment that overlooks the river and water and shit. Like that shit's out the. It's crazy. Yo. Like, I don't understand. I, I, Unless I, I, you make, you know. No, but here's the thing. I don't care what you make. I, I, me personally, I've never understood. And I have some colleagues like this, um, attorney colleagues. Who will pay, like you said, four thousand dollars in rent? And my only thought to that is when I hear them talking about, like, oh yeah, I got this fly ass apartment, whatever, we're paying this, that, and the it's other like, rent. It's not yours. It's like you're making the landlord rich, filthy rich. Like I don't understand why you're just you would borrowing do that. space that it's yeah. definitely going to outlive you. Exactly. So you're just literally giving your money away. Yeah, I, I never understood it. Exactly, exactly. And and and. The reason why some people do it is because, yo, y'all understand how I grew up. So I, you know, I got to stunt now because, like, That's an excuse. I grew up, you know, some on the humble. But that leads us perfectly into our next topic: yes. generational curses. So, Malik, just full disclosure for the people that are listening, this was Malik's idea in terms of the a topic for tonight, and I think it fit perfectly with the overall topic. So, when we say generational curses, I want to let you just explain from your perspective what that means to you so what that means to me is if you um again like you said if you listen to some of the past well one of specifically one of the past episodes i brought that up is because that's something i've dealt with in my life where generational curses it's 
as 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 people of color, we don't realize it, but we've been going through it. And obviously, there's a lot of different reasons, and you know, systemic reasons why that why that's happened. But specifically to me, um, you have you have certain things, you have certain uh, lineage in your in, in your family. You go back, and you start seeing like, well, this person did this, or this person did that. Or even even something as close as you know your, your your parents and certain things that your parents did you saw you saw growing up as a kid that inherit inherently you don't realize you start doing once you become an adult and if that just happened from obviously you and you seeing imagine how many generations that that has gone back and you don't realize it and I didn't realize it until I actually to be honest until I turned 40 years old I really started going back um, I met some people in my family I had never knew growing up and you start hearing about their history and their background and you start finding out about finding out about more people in, in, in your uh, family and he's like you know what I want to be different I want to break this curse because obviously so for an example I'm I went to college I'm one of the you know few in my family that went to college a lot of people did but you know a lot of people didn't finish I'm probably one of the few business owners in my family so I didn't have that example of having an uncle or my dad or mom who had their own their own business so that can that can that could have continued if I didn't you know kind of come to to grips that I want to break this generational curse I want to do something different now I want my kids now to understand what it means to be an entrepreneur to uh, know about money to learn money I knew nothing about money that was one of the reasons I, I got into banking and to finance you know, I, I didn't it, understand it it's funny because you know me me and my um, fiance talk about this all the time about how certain families and let's just be real white families have no problem talking about money at the dinner table with their children. You know, I don't, and when I say children, I don't mean like everybody's grown there at Thanksgiving. No, I mean like kids. Kids, yeah. like eight, nine years old. Yeah. And they're talking about stuff like finances. They're talking about credit cards. They're talking about stocks. They're talking about stock options. They're talking about investments. They're talking about this. And it's just normal. That wasn't conversation. No, well, not only that, it's the opposite. I feel like with black families, it's like, whoa, that's personal it's, business. It's like, because, well, yes. Like, we're not gonna But the main reason why it's personal business, in my opinion, the white family that's talking is talking out of confidence. Mm. The, per, the the family of color or you know whatever family you are a part of that doesn't speak openly, there's not a lot there to talk about. Most of it is actually they're ashamed to talk about. Yeah. So there's definitely. really nothing to talk about when we're living check to check. And and it's check to check and lack of education about money in general. Absolutely. Like obviously you can't speak intelligently on something if you don't know anything about it. Correct. And I feel like you know so. The generational curses thing to me, I go back and think about the understanding of family, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll sit back and say, you know, all right, here's my parents. I had older parents. So um, I think my parents are 35 when they had When they me. had you. Yes, okay. they were 35. So my parents were first gen from, you know, Puerto Rico here. They were the first generation here. My parents, the aspirations that were set for them from the generations prior to them was to get a high school diploma, get married, get a job. That was it. End of story. That's it. Yeah. Raise your kids, work hard, yeah. and that's life. Mm. You know, my grandparents knew even less than that. Their grandparents knew even less than that. You see... This also goes back, which I hate to try to tie it in, but again, in my opinion, mm -hmm. it goes back to the systemic problem of 
you know, with racism, yeah. where we have, or just go way, way back slavery. Well, like that's where I'm going to. Yeah. That's where I'm going to. Yeah. Throughout its time, because of the segregation and and the the not allowing to read and write and have uh, a normal opportunity like everybody else has. My grandparents, your grandparents. They didn't have the same opportunities as uh, uh, Luci- Lucian's parents and 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 uh, you know Theodore's we, you know we, father. We're not gonna gloss over you. Fucking said Lucian. <laughs> well, because I had to make it sound a lot, you know, a lot different. So I mean, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. you have just to understand that, like you said, Malik, I didn't have an uncle or uh, a specific family member that own businesses and did things on their own everyone i knew worked for somebody yeah, yeah exactly and it was the sure shot way to do you could work your time whether you were a cop fireman my family worked in con ed you know you do your 20 30 years you get a pension, pension you retire and it all sounds good like you're gonna live a very long time yeah. but the truth is we don't know where the fuck we're gonna live no nah, you don't know the time frame we have and for me personally that route yeah. Wasn't sure enough for and, me. and that Con Ed twenty years isn't twenty years. It's thirty it's actually like, too. And it's, 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 it's a thirty years. It's, it's a thirty years. No, you're saying me. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, no, oh, I know what he meant, yeah. but I'm just saying it's not even twenty. It's yeah. a thirty. It's 30. Yeah. So it's a rough thirty for real. So that thirty's like fifty. <laughs> Bro, I did thirteen, yeah. and I'm fucking hurting. Yeah. 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 That thirteen probably felt like twenty five. Yes, right? it did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. And I honestly felt like I left a lifetime there. So to speak further on this particular topic, we have. Dr. Keenan Davis, founder of One Institution, uh, an enterprise geared towards promoting social awareness. So we're going to get him on the horn in just a couple of minutes. And while we're getting him, while we're reaching out to him, just to kind of give a little personal background in terms of the generational curse. Um, and Malik, you said how you, you met some family or whatever. Like, it's crazy because he's like, you start to see trends, you know, so... Um, you see the trends and then you're like, oh man, you know, I'm realizing it's not just my pops, it's grandfather, it's yeah, uncles. It goes it's, back. Yeah. And we'll touch more on this. We'll yeah. get back on this after definitely, the call. Definitely, definitely. Hello. Keenan, what's up, brother? What's up? What's up, man? You you live on SNA. SNA Live, brother. How's every, how's it going, man? We chilling, y'all. <laughs> so let me introduce you to the folks so so the crowd the, the audience out there. If you don't know, uh, Keenan and I are really good friends. We've known each other, what, a little over 15 years probably. And um, so I just want to introduce you to my partners. We have Conway Martindale and my brother Ryan Lugo here. So, What's going on, brother? How are you? What's good, doctor? Hey, how y'all doing? Good to see y'all. Good to hear y'all. Pleasure. Hope everybody's safe and well. Yes, yes. Same on your end, brother. Yeah, man. So, no, we appreciate your time, man. Uh, we know you don't have much time, but we definitely... Uh, Wanted to just so basically we started before we called you um, just on the topic of generational curses. Um, I follow you obviously, or well, we speak personally, but then I also follow you on Facebook. You have the one institution uh, Facebook group where you throw out a lot of thought-provoking questions, brother. So um, just just reading those and hearing people's comments and seeing the dialogue going on between people. I thought this would be a great topic for you to touch on. But first, before we get to that, just give a briefly, just kind of tell everybody about your background, um, you know, where you're from, and, you know, a l- little, little information about yourself. Originally, Hot Springs, Arkansas, somewhat well-traveled, lived and worked in 15 different cities. Uh, where I'm from, you call it mud, uh, concrete jungle. I didn't really have much. Figured out how to survive, uh, survive the trap. 
got a couple degrees, married right, uh, got lucky along the way. Here we are. <laughs> that was very brief. Your story's. But like, I love that though. It's deep. Wait, it's deep. Can I just chime in real quick, brother? Because before, um, there was a particular HBO documentary. This came out like, like 20 years ago. And Banging a little rock. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. And I was like, Yo, Arkansas is gangster as yes, fuck. It is. Like, who I, knew? I said the same thing when I saw that on HBO. Like, we, so we're all we all New Yorkers, yeah. We all we all from the Bronx, yeah. We don't get to see much. So, out, you know, all I knew about during that time. Exactly. All I knew about Arkansas was that uh, Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas. That was pretty much it. And, and the Razorbacks. And the Razorbacks. Exactly. That's it. Corliss Williamson, Scotty Thurman. Shout yeah. out to Kareem Reed. Yeah. Bronx yeah. native. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. We didn't really know much about it, and then that, that documentary came out, and I was like, "Yo, Arkansas is fucking rough." Yeah, it, it is. I will not be driving through that state going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on that topic, um, I'm glad you know that was brief, but kind of dig deep into again. We're talking about the generational curses, and just a little bit about about your background. Obviously, coming from a small town. And you've been all over the country, all over the world. You've progressed very quickly at a young age. You were an executive in your in your thirties. Um, what's your perspective on just the general? I mean, all of us just gave our individual perspectives on what we feel, what we felt individually, how the generational curses affected us. Tell us a little bit about you specifically. I think you know you have different situations and scenarios. Obviously, I gave you a brief background because I think a lot of people who get in these conversations, right, they spend so much time trying to talk about who they are and what they've done, and it eliminates or certainly waters down their ability to disseminate a message to reach the masses. Because what you don't want to happen is for people to uh, to put you in a square because you say, hey, uh, you know. I have a portfolio of real estate. I've owned multiple franchises. I've worked as an executive with the NFL and the Chicago Bulls, married to a surgeon, uh, seeing seven figures, you know, before my 40s, right? Like when you start saying stuff like that, which, oh, by the way, I'm telling the truth, you start to see, it, it, starts, it, it, starts, it, starts, it starts to put you in a box, yeah. you know? So then when you come with an authenticity to say, well, guess what? You know, I didn't have... Uh, I, you know, from, from the age of 12 to 23, I didn't have certain uh, 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 facilities uh, within my house that normal people have to live on. Or you say, you know, my house burned down when I was, you know, 24 with a dog in it. Or I never met my dad. My mom was pregnant at 16, had me at 17. I was taken advantage of uh, by, by uh, I had a, like a... I was sexually taken advantage of when I was 10. I watched somebody taken advantage of when I was 11. I took advantage of them when I was 12. And I was addicted to porn from my cousins when I was 9. I saw my first crack rock at 13. I flipped my first whole thing at 19. And I was 100 things in by 23. So when you start saying that, but then you come back and say, okay, yeah, you got lucky graduated LSU, went to play ball, that didn't work out, figured out a way, you know, to make, get through five years, right, 15 withdrawals later, four years of academic probation, and then all of a sudden he has a doctorate degree in law and policy from a top 40 university in the world, mm. married to one of the top surgeons in the world. They're not going to really feel my story because when you tell them the ending, or at least where you are right now at the pinnacle and how you done hit a zenith, it's hard for them to understand. Did you really come from the mud? Did you really know mm. what the scale of a thing was? Do you really know how a thing blows? Like they're not gonna really 
understand that. So because of the generational curses that happened. Facts. Look, my cousins wasn't putting me on porn at nine because they thought that shit was cool. That's they was they putting did. me on porn at nine because they were 15 and they daddy, rest in peace, Uncle George, had put them in the game when they was probably nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real talk. That's real talk. You see what I'm saying? And the dude that was taking taking advantage of when I was getting taken advantage of by the girl when I was ten, she was thirteen. Her, her family brought dope to the whole state, so her family might have even been taking advantage of her when she was in. Yeah, yeah real talk. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? And, and then did, when I'm and watching she the dude, she knew. and she did what she do. And when I'm 11 and I'm watching the dude take advantage of the 11-year-old, he was probably doing something he had already seen somebody do, and I turned around and did it to her, because guess what? I saw him do it to her. Yeah, because that's all you knew at that time. Or that happened to him as well as a young age. It's just a repetitive cycle. Yeah. So that's a boomerang. Mm, And so generational curses, you know, it has that boomerang effect. Once somebody sets the seed, it's just going to go out and come right back. Definitely, and that's a good segue. So it's another question I wanted to ask for you. Again, this was a topic you brought up, so I know you have a lot to speak about. Why doesn't the black dollar stay in our communities? Why do we, again, we just had a conversation about, uh, we had a financial advisor on right before you, and he was speaking about how the difference between the guy who makes seven figures and the person who makes thirty, forty thousand dollars how that person who makes that family that makes thirty, forty thousand actually has more money saved than the person with the seven figures so us as a black community why is it so hard for us to learn how to save and then redistribute that that wealth back into our own communities what do you think is, is, is our biggest hurdle Obviously, we're talking about generational curses, so obviously that has something yeah, to do with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but just... Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great segue. I mean, I, I don't think that there is going to be, fellas, it's going to be one specific answer that we could say, oh, okay, yeah, that right there, okay, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. We could talk, it's a lot of branch issues, yes, right? But it, it's a lot of branch issues, but when you come back to the root cause of it all, right, you got to hit the root, and the root is going to, people will talk about financial literacy, like that's a branch issue, you know, wanting to keep up with the Joneses, right? One that, like that's a branch issue, but the root cause of it all, when it comes down to our inability to keep money in our neighborhood, and they'll say, okay, well, they burned it down every time we built it up in Wilmington, in Earl, Arkansas, West St. and East St. Louis, you know, in Omaha, Nebraska, and those were the places of hot red summer in 1918 before they even heard about Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1920. Uh, they'll, they'll talk about those situations and say, well, our confidence got beat up every time we built it. Yeah, that, that's a branch issue, but the, the idea of when you're when you're so far behind visibly than everybody else you see what they have when you don't have it so the the optics you know what i'm saying it's all about optics forget television we talk about now television television that you don't you really done but when you're in society and you're working for the masters first you're in the field so you see what the people in the house what they do and how they living and surviving. So your first, the first goal is to compete against yourself. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Because you're trying to get from that hot ass sun into that indoor <laughs> into house. Into that house, yeah. right? Yeah, man. So, that good right? so your value system is already built on what you see, so not on what you need, but on your vision, what you see. And so that just translated. Once you got in the house, now you see how the master lives. How can I live like them? Mm. You're not really knowing. The, the ins and outs of they had life insurance they had your black ass old money play. yeah they had you right. working for free had, yes. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying you're not even knowing the, the actual 
foundational knowledge of how it's happening. You're seeing though what it looks like once it's actually You're watching happens. the byproduct. Yeah, exactly. Just the end result. That's what so you're we saying. Never got the formula from the get go. You see what I'm saying? So we never passed that down generationally with our in our family. So the people who actually understand how to save, how to spend accordingly, you know, those basic financial uh, uh just you know, the, the basic finan- financial formulas of life, those individuals certainly have a, a leg up and they don't need the hand out because they can do basic math with money. Yes. But when you hear 97 cents on every dollar in our community, please the community, and we can only keep three cents at a time and a dollar will never circulate longer than six hours in our community and yes. don't even stay a day, but in 20 days potentially in an Asian, Asian community, community that's correct. In, in six days potentially in a white community, y'all need to give me no dope on this, but it don't matter. And then you turn around and it come back to a black community yeah. and ours, even in Hispanic community, it's eight days potentially. So because they have somewhat of a generational formula that they're passing down to their kids on how to spend with each other. You think about this, fellas. Y'all on the East Coast up top. I used to live in New York, obviously in the East Coast. Yeah. So I understand how it's set up. You come to the city, specifically New York, and people's destination visit, visiting, they're going to go check out Little Italy. Mm. It's an entertainment destination, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to go check out you know, a uh, little Chinatown. It's a destination, right? Mm. They gonna go to the New Harlem, which is white folks. It's a destination, mm. right? But you ain't never gonna go to the hood and be like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go hang out in the hood like it's a destination. Nah. The hood is no black hood not in America. Smart. <laughs> not if you smart. The whole 60th and Slauson, right, where my, rest in peace, Nipsey. Yeah, rest I'm in, in peace, L.A. Man. last year this time. My yeah. mom was with me. It was her 60th birthday. She wanted to go by the store. I'm I'm cringing. I don't know what colors I got on. I don't know what yeah, 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 you got to think about right. all that, man. Yeah. So yeah. See, you, 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 thinking, you plugged right? in. Yeah. I'm plugged in. I'm hood. I'm hood mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this ain't affiliated, right? I ain't affiliated. I, I look like a tour. I got, yeah. I got a phone, camera. I'm <laughs> taking pictures in front of the Nipsey sign. So you know I ain't from around here. Yeah. So, so, but that, it was, it's not a destination. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. we've never invested in our community to make our community a destination. Therefore, really, black people just have neighborhoods. Yeah. Because in order to have an actual community, you have infrastructure inside of your neighborhood that makes it viable for other people to come visit. So, Kenyon, let me ask you something real quick. How, how old are you as, as we speak right now? 43, turn, up, turn, circle of sun, 44 in a few months. Okay. So, let me ask you something. From your early days uh, as an executive in your you know, late 20s, early 30s to, to now, do you think it's getting better? Do you think it's the same or do you think it's getting worse? Great question. Awesome question. I think mental, mentally, as far as black people, mm-hmm. yes. Oh, effed up because because we have we have the we have more growth. We have more. We're working with more mm-hmm. than we've ever worked with before. Mm-hmm. But what happens now is you flee your situation as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. So there's no there is so, so there is. Soon as, we ain't taught to, to leave the hood and come back and fix the hood and make it livable. Talk about that. We taught to leave the hood and, and get out. Never, never. Like it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Don't look back. Simple. And forget and that shit point, as quickly right, as possible. It's burning, 
it's burning salt and everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know what I'm saying? No, like, you're right though. You're 100 percent right with that statement. It, it's and it's a bad misconception. It really is. So to me, you know, in my opinion, and again, every hood is very similar in the sense that the people who can make it out, like y'all ain't trying to go live off in the hood. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, no, I'm not shooting, not shooting at you. Right? No, no, no. no, no, no. Listen, it, it, I will tell you right now, I am definitely not trying to go live back in the hood. So all three of us <laughs> from the hood That's in, in the Bronx, and we now live in a comfortable suburb. But what you said, yeah. though, is right, though. If we had, you know, most people who do make it from there, they should find their way back as even if it's in an investment purpose to help rebuild the neighborhoods that they grew up in. Exactly. So that's why it's worse because every other community, ethnicity, when I say community, every other enclave, mm-hmm. their they their hood is where they live. Correct. Because they've made it more livable. That's why it's a destination. Now, so for us, all the people who are are capable and able minded to be able to produce and do the same thing that these other enclaves are doing, mm-hmm. we go be a part of their enclave, right? And make yeah. them more livable and more capable and more of a destination. Definitely. And now, not to give us an, an excuse as a people, but let me and let me just get your, your take on what I'm about to say. It's a little different for us, for black people born in this country, when you're the product of slaves and slavery's main goal was to strip us of our culture and our customs. So where you have other immigrant communities coming from whatever country they come from, whether they be Italian, whether Eastern they be European. Greek, whether they be Eastern European, whether they be Asian, they're coming here keeping that same tradition, that same culture. So it's easy to maintain a community because you've not been stripped of that culture, you've not been stripped of those customs, even the language. So you'll have Little Italy, and you'll have people still from the old country that you'll just hear, you know, still speaking Italian. You have Chinatown, everybody speaking Cantonese or Mandarin, and they're still plugged into their families exactly. and bringing those stories back. So I just wanted to kind of get your take on the role of slavery and how, despite the fact that it was, you know, abolished, you know, 150 plus years ago how it still resonates today, if, if at all, from your perspective. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the great late, you know, the, the great late Marcus Garvey, uh, that you know, really helped bring and feel and create black pride in the 1930s and 1940s, obviously before he was exiled until his death to London. Yeah. You know, Marcus did some great work to me, in my honest opinion, in that he tried to bring the African diaspora in its totality mm. together and specifically instill it in the United States culture, right? The Af- the native black, yeah. as, as I term it, as he terms it, the yeah. native black. And so, and, and for given those, the question... Not, not to cut you off, but for those that don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Brother Marcus was, was Jamaican by, by nationality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he had a particularly so, unique perspective of the of the black American. But yeah, continue. Okay. Absolutely, in the in the enslaved African, yes. right? Whether because he looked at it like, listen, and that's what made him uniquely not just uniquely qualified, but that's what made his message uh, uniquely resonate mm-hmm. across the African diaspora, exactly. and not just in Africa or in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. but it's specifically in America because he was able to say, listen, we are all African. Genotypes However we've been enslaved In different parts of the world But make no mistake about about it Our our blood is the same I mean the fact that Brazilians 
the fact that black people don't look at Brazilians as Africans when 38 out of every hundred slaves landed in Brazil. No other place in the world got more per, a higher percentage of yep. slaves than Brazil. So, Why do you think they got big butts and big? Exactly. Because that's Africa. That's African. Sao Paulo was the biggest slave port in the Western world. That's pure cut China. That's China white in Brazil, yeah. right? So the idea of what Garvey to, to the point, your question, like so that we had to create that black pride because when slaves came to the United States, specifically slaves in the United States from the Western Cape, Africa, from what we're told, anywhere between forty and sixty percent of those slaves actually only fifty, sixty languages, but forty to sixty percent of those slaves spoke one specific language, which was Arabic. Mm. And so they happened to be, so what generally in that, the very beginning of slavery, obviously when it hit Jamestown, 16, 19, those individuals, those that could speak Arabic were kind of like the leaders because they had the majority voice and they could actually understand each other more than Mm. everybody else. So they got the message, you do this, you don't do that. And they had to communicate that to the masses, right? So imagine that if there are 60 different cultures descending on America mm. and none of those cultures are represented in you, all. None of those cultures represent what your dominant master represents. Mm. You've been broken down immediately and every generation after that has essentially become inundated with white Christianity. Mm. Right. Mm. And so that becomes, that becomes your master and that becomes your, your, your savior. Yeah. Both all are the same person. Yeah. Yeah, and yep. and now we've had to rebuild, or we're starting to rebuild with Garvey, with the nation, with Malcolm, with MLK, our sense of, and with uh, Stokely Carmichael or uh, 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 Toure, Kwame Toure, yeah, human, right? Human, 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 uh, human, yeah. You know, and Huey P, right? Yeah. All these, all these great, uh, you know, freedom fighters that have helped recreate what our blackness and the richness thereof actually looks like. Whereas the Italian dude, or the Greek cat, or the Chinese man or woman, they have the authenticity of the original dogma of their ethnicity. Mm. Whereas ours has been recreated to the best of its ability over the past probably a hundred years yeah definitely definitely man so i had one last question but i think i'm gonna turn this question for a plug for you because i know you're doing something big right now and in a a city that really needs it and a city that is overpopulated by us and uh the question was basically how do we keep the black dollar how do we keep these this black dollar in our community so just tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing in the city of detroit right now you and your partners and I mean, I think it's 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 a it's great what you guys are doing, man. So just tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing, how it started, where the idea came from, and where you guys, what, what's the end goal? So I mean, the, the goal at the end of the day, right? We all trying to figure out our lane and how we could be more in control of our own destiny mm. as a, as within your four walls. But how you could transfer and translate that information to people who look like you to create upward mobility, uh, to create black progress and. As you mentioned, Malik, you know, Detroit is uh, the, the blackest big city in the country at 82 percent black. However, it's also the poorest big city in the country at a thirty three thousand dollar annual median house, house, uh, house income. So you have the blackest big blackest city and the poorest city. And it's the same city, yeah. which is Detroit. So it, 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 it really provides a 
a backdrop for interesting case study. And that case study for me is, you know what? I could potentially start buying up entire blocks and creating my own ecosystem of blackness. The block may need a resource center that has a technology output, health clinic, a sports lab in it, and I could put that on one end. And then, okay, we need a grocery store. And I could go buy the land around the grocery store and build farming, you know, have a garden, mm-hmm. garden to store kind of cycle. And we got black, organic, healthy food options right there in the middle of the hood. Okay, I could buy this old school and, re- and turn it into a newer version of some kind of school that could really help uplift a trade school, right? Mm -hmm. Where I got HVAC and welding and carpentry Mm -hmm. and electrician work and plumbing all in the same thing. So now I'm educating and I'm empowering and I'm putting brothers and sisters out there in the workforce developing their character, their content, but also their skill set. So Detroit just provided me, again, with a playground to create my own mindset, you know, create something from scratch kind of like my own sim city in a mm. sense and we started doing it you know recently and we've obviously been able to acquire we meaning me been able to acquire talking to third person but i've been able to acquire a considerable amount of property and we turned some into affordable housing for the people we turned one of our commercial spaces into a, a resource center all inclusive we're lucky to have some sponsors come in and say you know what we want to help the hood you know, Coke came in, said, you in the hood? I want, I want in. Uh, we got Microsoft and Google. Oh, you need technology? Okay, we want in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting. When you build it, they'll come. Because right now, it is in vogue to be messing with black people. Yes, it I'm is. I'm not saying from a political standpoint. I'm, I'm not even saying socially. But I'm saying if you really, if you really plug into the right corporate entity, they want to be on the right side of history. Because, yes. again, you got $1.3 trillion in black spending. And we're in a cancel culture the ninth largest GDP in the world, which is the black dollar, they want to make sure they get the black dollar. You got to understand, so Hennessy alone, we spend up to 75%. <laughs> we make up 75% of all Hennessy sales in America. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. When, you, when it comes down to Newport, we account for over 60% of Newport sales in America. To be honest, with so, the Newport number, I'm surprised it's not higher. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, you got it, it, me too. Me too. To be honest, but, I, just, I had my, to hold that I, in for yeah, a minute because it did set in yeah, for a my, minute. My pop smoked Newports. My uncle smokes Newports. Shit, like, I hey. smoked the Newports back in the day. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Right. And so, but Cools was a thing, right? But then they Cools, you know, Cools fell off and it went to Newports. Yeah, so Cools went to Newports. That's yeah, correct. Yeah, and if you were yeah. bougie, you smoked Salem's. Yes. <laughs> there, there you go. But, but, it's, but menthol, but the menthol game is going to black people. Because yeah, they market it to they market they menthol to Definitely. black people in Ebony and Jet yep. and Esquire in the fifties and sixties, yeah. and that's and, and that's how it took flight. I mean, yeah. they man, listen, this design is purposeful, and they're really really good at it. Mm-hmm. So corporate America is always going to be on the front end of helping out. So Detroit just allows us an opportunity to really say, you know what, we just don't want to talk about helping black people. We want to be about it. So we're yeah. gonna buy a building turn them into affordable houses. We're going to buy up commercial spaces, turn them into uh, action items of employment, uh, whether it's their health, it's their wealth, or creating hope. And that and that's kind of what's taking place. Yeah, man. It, it actually sounds like you're on the verge of building a United States version of Wakanda. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though. No, no, in all seriousness, though. I heard some of the, you know, you said the sports center, you know, what you said about the garden, too, and buying up land and all that. That stuff is, you know, 
you know it's funny white people have been doing that for a long time yeah yeah you mm. know so to bring that back to the to, to the neighborhoods it's true though and get them on eating better you had mentioned the organic eating like all these little things do lead up to a greater greater goal yeah for sure for yeah, i mean sure. y'all have asked some great y'all have asked some great questions and like i said it wasn't an excellent question there's not any you know one size fits all answers for saving and helping black people anybody can see that mass incarceration obviously that's oh, yeah. something we we're gonna have to worry about like yeah. look five percent of black people got a passport like five percent five percent of black people got a passport so how do we get the dope and the guns in our neighborhoods Real we can't go get talk. it because we don't have no passport we know that 70 percent of the guns in the country coming from russia and germany yeah 100 and we know that 90 percent right of the coke is coming from colombia straight from bolivia, bolivia. bolivia. Yeah. right i mean right, exactly so we know that we can't even go get the dope Mm-hmm. Or the guns, but they just showing up randomly, <laughs> randomly popping cool, up right man. in the neighborhood. Yeah, you're right. Like yeah. all of the all of raw you want right there. Yeah. Like seriously, who just dropping off this good coke? Like no, <laughs> <laughs> this good coke and these fun ass guns. This stuff. Just... Yeah, I'm talking about the real good ones on TV. Like, yeah. yeah, the movie <laughs> ones. Yeah. So, so the harder they work to keep us, we're gonna have to keep working three to five times harder, that yeah. level. Harder to reject it, and I think what you, what y'all are doing, and creating the conversation, which in a sense is bringing real content to the people, Mm. is part of the discussion. Because so many times we've been left out of the discussion as an academic, as a professor that teaches at the highest, on the highest level. I can tell you, my colleagues are nothing like me Mm. because they've never lived the struggle. Number one. They never lived it, and two, they run from it. They, you know what I'm saying? They spent. You ain't gonna find it's, two it's doctors in a household. Yeah. It's un, you're not trying to be uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? You're not trying to see. None of my peers, from a professional standpoint, mm. are seeking out black people in the hood to help. No, no. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They may write a check every now and then to a cause led by somebody like me, mm. or they may, you know, volunteer some time. On Thanksgiving or Christmas at a mm. shelter. Yeah. Again, I'm not knocking it, but in terms of saying, "No, nah, I'm gonna make this my life duty mm. to be in that." No, that ain't what we do. And so, until people like y'all and us professionals that have made it from the struggle mm. make ourselves available to the struggle, mm-hmm. in the struggle, the struggle ain't gonna never change. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, man. Definitely. What? Oh, Keaton, uh, you get cool. you. Gave us a lot, man. I appreciate it, brother. Real quick, um, I'll let you do a, another plug for. Uh, I know you have this group on face on uh, Facebook, one institution. Just give a quick little plug because I know you're trying to build the uh, build the followers. I appreciate and, that. And you guys have a lot. Yeah. You have guys have anybody who's listening, please go to this page. The dialogue that goes on, the questions that brother Keenan put, puts out, and then you see the dialogue. It goes for like a hundred, 150 comments because. He has people talking, and like he just said, we have to start the dialogue. But real quick, just you know, tell us a little bit about the uh, the page and, and what's what's the mission. Well, thank you uh, for the plug. I appreciate that, Malik. So what happens is you have people who have these. Uh, they create a, a Facebook group, and uh, it, I mean, some of them can go up to the hundreds of thousands or low one million, low million, and they'll have they, they'll have good uh, good missions, whether they're boycotting and blacking something out, etc. But it won't be an end game. Kind of be it'll kind of be like something like 
Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street was a beautiful movement. It lasted a record like 250 days, the longest standing movement in modern day modern day American history. But the thing about Occupy Wall Street, which is similar to these Facebook groups, is that they have no end in sight. They have they don't have an ask. Yeah, there's so no, there's with, no with goal. Any movement, yeah. you got to have an ask. Yeah. You got to have a goal in this site. At the end of it, when somebody says, damn, I'm tired of you walking up and down the street, what do I need to do to get you to go back inside? Mm. You got to have that waiting for them, right? Mm. And so for us, we created the actual online Facebook group simply to bring, to, to one, to build original content programming and make use of the opportunity to take on the tough questions and challenges and conversations in society, similar to what we're doing right now. But make no mistake about it, our presence was never to be on no Facebook group. That's just our retail space front. Mm-hmm. I'm a wholesaler, right? I don't believe in retailing. I like, I want everything from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So, off the top. So, our opportunity was or is to gre- create these individual chapters on the ground in real life like a new age NAACP so one institution for us is the NAACP 2.0 is an opportunity to create a new way for black people to uh, increase their upward upward mobility Mm. to realize uh, their health and their wealth to build hope and some substance and a sustained uh, longevity within the black man and black woman by any means necessary so we have a national chapter. It's four weeks old. So we're four weeks. Got about 5,000 uh, people in the actual Facebook group. We've created a chapter in Detroit, one Detroit. We are, we've opened up essentially our resource center in Detroit. We have another chapter in Arkansas that's building out their board. Uh, again, four weeks old. So I always tell people, what Facebook group has actually stuff in real life? Real talk And I was about to tell you right now Four weeks in with 5,000 I mean that's nothing to sneeze at right there But but that ain't even it But I'm just saying in real life Like we got an actual chapter So we we, Yeah it's real This is just real We finalizing our fund So it's going to be called the One Institution Fund We'll have a membership at $5 a month And every month the, The entire group will have 10 different things places to fund and we will all do a vote on one thing per month and we'll fund an entrepreneur in Brooklyn. We'll fund the daycare opening in uh, Baltimore. We'll fund, you know, a school being revitalized in Philly. And we'll do that every single month. Right? That's amazing. And that's what right. I'm about. Right that, there. Kenan, 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 that is amazing. Awesome. That is amazing, amazing news right there to hear. There you go. Wow. So I expect y'all to I expect each y'all, each one of you to be members in the one institution. <laughs> yeah, you know what? No, absolutely. In the movement. Of course. In the movement. Because yeah. that's what it is. It's a movement. And I'm just here to save a few babies while I got a team. Next time y'all bring me on, I know Malik he wanted to talk about religion. So and he always has these conversations with me on the side about black people and religion. So make sure y'all bring me into that conversation. You know what? That is actually a subject topic that we are definitely going to get into soon enough and we will gladly bring you back. But everybody, please give it up. Keenan Davis, you got some jewels today. I mean, thank you so much for the phone call. You have really, really given a lot of knowledge out there, and our listeners are gonna be very grateful for this. Brother. Sure, y'all be good. All right, bro. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. What a call. Listen, 
<clears throat> For those out there listening, you, this episode has to be probably one of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to tell you why. The knowledge and the, the the expansive knowledge between the callers that are that have called in tonight and the topics that we're talking about, it's true. They're not topics that we talk enough about. No, yeah. not at all. And that's why we don't fucking grow. Yeah, that's real talk. You know, the only way you can grow is if you have an opportunity to and you have the knowledge to grow. And then you have to have the balls to try it. Exactly. Because failure is a part of the process. Yeah. You have to trust the process and failure is a part of it, but having the knowledge... To give you the opportunity to fail or succeed is everything. And, and it's never really truly failure if you're learning if from you, the mistakes. Oh my God. Say that again. Do it. Say it again. I feel like a preacher. Say, one more time, preacher. Say it again. It's it again. never really truly failure as long as you learn from the mistakes that you made that led to that failure. And on the other end, it will lead to success. Yo, 110%, bro. 110%. So it, it's so funny that um, you know, we kind of got into a topic, which is the next topic for today's discussion, topic number three, banking and people in the hood. Before we get into yeah, that, yeah. I just want to take it back to some cigars real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 I saw your face over there. You look like you're in heaven right now. Bro. Kid in the candy store Yo, over let there. me tell you something, man. Yeah. Uh, this chapter one, again, Listen, you know how I feel. I've made it very known on our pods earlier, especially with Dominican cigars. You know, but right now between Caesars, mm-hmm. his Caminos, Phoenix, 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 because mm-hmm. their torpedo is something to be messed with. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, and LFD is obviously something that we know more you yeah. know, of. Yeah. You know, because it's a longer recognized brand. Yeah. But this chapter one, again, the way they construct these cigars and the flick. You see how slow it's burning and perfectly, perfect. The whole cigar. Look, I mean, obviously you guys can't see this one in particular. Yeah. It's dead even. Yeah. There's no no uh, canoeing. It's, it's not a canoe. Yeah. It's not a mountain tip. Yeah. It is completely leveled with the leaf as it burns consecutively. Mm. And I'm in heaven <laughs> with this episode, this yeah. scotch, yeah. And, yeah. And, and and the topic heading. And again, I hope you guys are enjoying it the same way that I'm saying that I am. Because this is a, an, an, a very interesting episode. Yeah. With a, a, a plethora. How about yeah. that one? Yeah, yeah. A plethora of information for you. I have to bring this back when you listen to this one. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So, going to the next topic banking and, and people in the hood. And this one, this particular topic resonates with me because I, I've, I've said this before on the podcast. By day, uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, I do civil rights cases, police brutality, false arrest, false imprisonment. So those are lawsuits. And these lawsuits... Real quick, that's Martindale and Associates. Yeah, 380 Lexington Avenue, 17th floor, New York, New York, 10168. 212-405-2233. That's right. Listen, this is our platform, and we have to make sure that... Oh, yeah. The opportunity to get in touch with you is out there. Especially nowadays, man. You're 100% right. Aside from business, just the the time frame that we're living in. So you're 100% right. Exactly. So um, this particular topic resonates with me because with these lawsuits, obviously, come settlements. And with the settlements, come settlement checks. So even before I get to the client receiving the check, I've had clients... And, and keep in mind, this is not me trying to be disrespectful or talking down 
on my clients because my client base is the demographic of how I grew up. So that's why my clients, generally speaking, love me because I can just talk to them real. You know what I'm saying? So what it basically boils down to is I'll have clients say, oh, man, all right, so we settled for this, that, and the amount, you know, this, that, and the other amount. Okay, let me ask you something, man. Can I get that in cash? And I'm like, no, you can't get that in cash. <laughs> what do you think this is? This is a business transaction. We, I'm not selling fucking tapes out of my trunk in the fucking alley. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a business transaction. No, I'm not going to give you cash because two reasons. Number one, it's a business transaction. Number two, if I gave you cash, who's to say later down the road, you're not like, yo, I didn't get all my money. Yeah, real talk. You know like, what I'm saying? Like, I'm missing something over here. Exactly, exactly. So, for, for like before anything you know what I'm saying I gotta protect myself from, in my business but at the at the same time it's not so much that they're asking for the cash because it's it's, it's like a greed factor it's more so the lack of comfort dealing with financial institutions so once I tell them no I can't give you cash I give them a check and then what ends up happening is I meet them either at my office sometimes I meet them courthouse area and they'll say all right thanks man i appreciate this and my first question to them is do you have a bank account now i would say probably 80 percent of my clients don't have a bank account are you serious yeah easily and and, and that actually might be modest it might be higher but i'm oh, guesstimating 80 percent so then i thought it was gonna be the opposite no nah, no nah, they don't they don't have a bank account so then what they'll say is now, I don't have one. And what I will say is, okay, take this check. So my, 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 my firm banks with Chase. So I'll say to them, look, you don't have to go to Chase. You can go to any bank. The, the check is good. It's a good check. It's from a reputable financial institution. So you can go to any bank. But if you go to Chase, they'll recognize the check and process it probably that much faster. And they'll say to me, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go to the bank and, and I'll, I'm like, look, just go open up a bank account. And in two days, not two weeks, not two months, not two years, in two days, they will process the check. The money will clear. And if you want to, you can take all the money out of the account. And they'll say to me in my face, all right, man, all right, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm, all right, I'm going to go to... I'll go to Chase, I'll go to TD Bank, I'll go to Citibank, I'll go to Wells Fargo, wherever. I'll go to the bank and open up an account. Literally, one hour later, I get a call from a check cashing spot. Mr. Martindale, we have Mr. Such-and-Such here at the Such-and-Such check cashing spot, and um, we just need to verify the check. And my reaction to that is, in my head, I don't say this to the check cashing attendant, but I'm like... You just sat there in my face and told me I'm going to open up a bank account. But they just told me what they thought I wanted to hear. Not realizing, ultimately, I, I honestly, I don't care what you do with your money. Because at that point, it's your money. Correct. So whatever you want to do with it, good. Yeah, after running. that point, yeah. But at the same time, it saddens me. It saddens me that two reasons. That they felt they had to lie to me. They were going to go open up a bank account. And number two, that they didn't feel comfortable walking into a financial institution and opening up a bank account. Because number one, they probably don't know how to do it. Yes. Number two, they probably don't trust 
banks in general. And that's so, also rooted into generational curses. Exactly, which is the exact reason why I brought this up. Because there's still elderly people that stash cash in under their mattress. Exactly, exactly. So I wanted to kind of get into just the lack of knowledge, lack of trust, lack of experience of dealing with financial institutions as far as people of color. And regardless if you're in the hood or not, this, this can be middle class black families or families of color still having a lack of trust or lack of experience or knowledge in dealing with these financial institutions to the point where they will go to a check cash because this is my response to them always the, the clients Give it to me. when you go Give it to, to me. this check cashing Give spot and i'm just going to make up a round number so let's Give say the settlement was for ten thousand dollars my Give response to, to them is you went through this experience with the police such that you deserve every single penny of what you're getting from this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. The second you go to a check cashing spot, oh my lord, that ten thousand dollars now goes down to nine thousand. Well, I was about to say even yeah. maybe even less, but you're right. You lose yeah. a substantial amount of money right exactly, away. Exactly, because obviously the check cashing spot got to get there. They end. take their piece. Exactly. So I'm like, why would you voluntarily give them your money? But that doesn't resonate with them. What's bigger or larger than them losing their money is the fear of walking into a financial institution. So, Malik, you, you worked, obviously you weren't in like the, 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 the you weren't on, did you, actually, did you start off as a teller? I started off as a, as a banker, a personal banker. Okay, so you never really were really on the floor with people like walking yeah, in. Yeah, I was, because I, I had my own office, because I was the financial. So I started as a banker, I was on the floor. Okay. Later on, I went, I went into the financial advisory, but I was still within the branch, but I was just in my own office. But in terms of like somebody actually walking into a bank branch, going to the teller? No, I wasn't. Start, no, okay, wasn't. that's all right. So I guess what I'm getting at is... I have a, I have a story for that, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, and that's, that's what I wanted to hear. I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at is, have you experienced where you had somebody walk in and them not knowing, like, step one? what to do to open up a bank account yes definitely so just to give you the uh the dynamics of how the banking world works so like you said person will come in usually they go to the teller and i'll speak specifically to one area and not to pinpoint this town but um i worked in mount vernon and anybody who knows mount vernon is predominantly black and and to be honest it's low income and i've worked in probably a good eight to 10 different branches throughout New York City. And I've never gotten so many lawsuit people who've come, come to me with checks that had no idea what to do with the check because they didn't have a checking account. I mean, I'm talking about six figure lawsuits and had no idea, no idea to do with what to do with the money. So let me ask you, did they come to you to tell yo, I need to cash this check? No, no. So yeah, I'm going to tell you dynamics. Yeah. So what they do is they go to the teller and be like, yeah, I got this uh, $200,000 check. Um, can you, can I get some cash for this? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like what? And they'd be like, no, 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 no. So there was, that a breaks my heart. Though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, what I'm saying. It, it, it was a, it was it a process. It was a process. So you would have to go to the personal banker first. The personal banker will open the checking account for you. 
eight out of ten times people didn't have the correct ID, so they would have to leave and then wind up coming back because they didn't have the, the, the proper, proper ID. Proper yeah. ID. Because they, yeah, they, they have no idea what to use to they open know, up an account. They didn't know. But and going to what you something you said, Conway, they didn't trust the banks. They like, why you need my ID? What you need all of that for? <laughs> like, what? Like, dude, this is what you have to do. We have to know who you are. Yeah, yeah it's so, just it's happening. You just don't know. They, you they, know? They, they didn't know. So they would come back and they'd be like, all right. So then the banker would open checking account and then obviously because majority of people who work in the banks are people of color they they had this 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 thought like you know what let me help this person because obviously he's about to get all this money and he's gonna blow it in like a month and i've seen it before that's a whole nother story but they would say all right listen we all right i just opened you a checking and savings account what i want you to do actually they wouldn't say i want I, they would literally get up out of their chair and, and walk the person over to me you need to sit down with our financial advisor mm. and put this money to work or put it in something that's gonna because they could tell right away what's gonna happen they, with the they money. already knew they was like oh my, this per, this person's gonna blow and there's one there was one particular client and, and uh it, it just who kind of indulged this whole story um he came over so they you know they walked him over i'm like hey how you doing he's like what's up brother what's going on blah blah, blah. mind you he had like a thousand dollars worth of clothes on but lived in the project of course yeah yeah, man, you know, I got this money, you know, I got this lawsuit, you know, you know what I mean? I just want to do something. I want to put some money away for my kids. I'm like, oh, okay, perfect. You're thinking good, brother. I like this. All right, let's sit down, and I'll start talking to them. And I would my, my approach, almost like how what Barry was saying, it was always in the best interest of the client. But what I did is I would listen to them first because then now I, it would help me now how, my approach on how I need to go at this person. And I would say, and I would put together a plan, hey, listen, this is what you need to do. You know, we can put some, you know, 529 plan for your kids, make sure that, you know, no matter what happens to you, even God forbid you pass away, your kids are having college money for their college. And then I'm going to put you into an annuity. This is your retirement account. How old are you, brother? I'm 45. All right, listen, you can't touch this till you're 60. You know, whatever it is at that time, it's changed since then, but you can't touch it. So this forces you to know that when you retire, you're going to have a nest egg to fall back on. Long story short, I put most of a majority of his money into this annuity, which was supposed to be his retirement account. Mm. Do you know within seven to eight months, he already blew through eight of that, uh, uh, half of that already? Yeah. And you know you get penalties. You get yeah, 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 you get penalties on all that. And yeah. I and I explained all of this to him, and I'm like, dude. And he comes in, he's like, yeah, you know, blah blah blah. Oh, what you doing? Oh, yeah, I bought a house for cash down in Atlanta. You know, I bought my wife a caddy. You know, cash. I'm like, dude, are you serious, man? Come on, man. And I tried to school the brother. And had he known about building credit, especially with having that amount of cash, I don't know what the number was. But I mean, obviously, if he's buying houses for cash and cars for cash, he had decent amount of money. Had he had known about establishing credit, credit exactly, and yes. utilizing the you bank's you money, do, you didn't have to do all that. So, I mean, to your question, like it, I've seen it, I've seen it, and that's just one story. That was like the biggest story, but there was a lot of other other stories like that. And it's it's sad, man, because I mean. I have people in my family who didn't open banking accounts until they were in their 40s or 50s, 50s and I was the person who opened the account. Mm -hmm. So, but for, but for you, they probably never would have done. They it. never would have done, and it was always like what you said. I don't, don't trust, trust the banks. banks. Yeah. I don't trust. Them. I ain't to get my money. You know what I mean? Come on, man. They gonna charge me thirty five dollars if I don't have money in there. But and look at the mind frame, though. If you really just dig deep, the older family members that are saying that. They learned that from their family members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at the time when their family members were growing up, they didn't have a dog in the fight in banks mm -hmm. and in advisorship and in, and in roles of mentorship. Well, 
because what it, what it boils down to is it was the devil. <laughs> what it boils down to is it, it's a couple things. So first and foremost, banks didn't really fuck with us, and they, and no, they still kind of don't. They really don't. They really don't. Like so, if you already have an institution that doesn't fuck with us generally, I can understand the distrust. As a matter of fact. Me and Malik share this in common. One of our favorite shows is the show Billions yes. on Showtime. Yep. Do you remember the episode where they did the sting operation where they had two people of color walk in to oh, set yes. up a bank account? Yes, yes. And like the, the, the white dude behind the desk who worked for the bank was like, oh, we got to do this, that, and the other. This, and, like, it was all type of fees and yeah. everything. Yeah. It, was all, it was all type of crazy shit. They're taking advantage of them. Yeah. And then they had uh, another sting operation where they had the white dude come in. And all of a sudden, all doors were open for that person. Exactly. All type of benefits and everything. It's been going on for years. Exactly, exactly. So number two is when you don't understand money. So, and look, we're 80s babies. So we, we, we grew up of the hip-hop generation. So, you start to realize... Sorry, guys. Uh, we still are a functioning business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, did somebody just call the lounge? Is that what just happened? <laughs> yes, okay. Pro- probably trying to make reservations for Friday. Because... Tailgate. Yeah. On Fridays, um, we have the hottest Friday nights in... Pretty much, at this point, the New York City metropolitan area. Like... It's not just Jersey. It's everywhere. Like New York metropolitan area, we get we get shit popping on, on Fridays. But anyway, so hip hop generation. Cash. Mm-hmm. We're obsessed with cash. And you have rappers. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Your rappers like holding big stacks of cash to their to their head, like they're on the phone or whatever. And the IRS and, is sitting there like that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Where'd you get that from? So and and you know, and and you know, God bless his brother in terms of just how he took, you know, the initiative to talk about this. Jay Z on 444, that album. When he was talking about. That was a reach, that yeah, album. Like, yeah. Because some people criticized him. For yeah, it. they did. But, but you know what? The section that criticized him were part of that that don't understand exactly the majority of the things that we're trying to talk his about in this was, episode. Exactly. His brother was talking about credit, brother was talking about, like, just value. So. When we when you focus on cash and not understanding that the actual like dollar, like the paper dollar, is it has worth, don't get me wrong, but it's just as worth as the worth that's put on it is only what we attribute to it. Mm-hmm. So when you understand the actual game, and when I say the game, like the way this society is run, it's not about the amount necessarily of cash on hand or the amount of bills that you can stack in your hand for a photo opportunity it's more so how do you leverage that to use once again other people's money specifically the bank's money the bank's money you have to though exactly so it's like and that's if, the importance of building credit exactly OPM. exactly 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 OPM. opm if you don't get anything from this this episode opm and mining your own like personal finance so cash don't get me wrong it's important to have like a little bit of a reserve correct but understand the game and do not keep it in your checking account 
No, savings That's account, another problem CDs. that even even before you even get to the checking, don't keep it underneath your mattress. Well, for, that's <laughs> for one. It definitely is not as valuable. Well, especially living in the neighborhoods that we're talking about, that yeah. you're keeping it under your mattress. That means that people know you don't go to the bank to deposit. That means they know you have a large amount of cash exactly. sitting somewhere, and they're gonna get your ass. You got exactly. savings accounts. You got CDs. You got a new. But what's the importance of? And I, I'll tell you the importance of why not to keep it in your checking account. I have this is from a personal experience when my mother passed away <clears throat> again not knowing how to keep money shifted in different spots mm. if you don't have direct access to an account of a loved one regardless of your uh, your, your your attachment whether it's a spouse mm. if money is in a checking account and you don't have access to it that money goes directly to the bank if you can't pull it out mm -hmm. they yeah. keep it yeah. so yeah. if you have five grand let's say and you keep five grand in your checking account. If something happens to you, was that what's, what's what's the acronym for the for the banks? Is the F F A FICA? FICA, F I yeah, exactly. Yeah. It goes directly to FICA. Yeah. So it, it basically boils down to the, the old term diversifying your portfolio. Correct. Like Jizzy used to say. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> You're not even a Wu Tang fan. Look, 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 look. Impressive. Dave, Dave, Dave Chappelle. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was a classic episode. Definitely But you know what it actually boils down to At it's core It's so easy And once again Regardless of our beginnings We're at where we're at right now in life So we know the difference now we, we, We've seen the other side But when you're in survival mode So that dude that came to you And you're talking about annuities And you're talking about his kids college fund you're talking about his retirement He's thinking to himself Motherfucker, that's 15 years down the road. That's down. I might not even be alive. I'm not, exactly. I might not even be alive, brother. So I'm going to spend this money while I can. I'm going to ball out of control. Life insurance. Do that. I mean, something. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get no, no. It. In theory, the right move is that. But what Conway's yeah. saying is that <clears throat> that's not the mind frame of the individual. No, it's not. Because, no. though, again, though, what is inspiring him? Who is inspiring him? There isn't. So I know people I grew up with. Once I started, like, Kind of separating myself and, and and getting into the professional ranks or whatever, you know. I, I'm to this day, as I sit here right now, I still got people in the hood that I talk to on a regular basis. And when I would hit them up and be like, "Yo, what's going on, man? Like, you know, how, how's it going?" Do you know how many times I've heard the phrase, "Man, I'm just living day to day." That's a tough one to hear. You know what I'm saying? And it's like. The fuck can I say to that? Because I, because I get it. Because I came from that. I can't ex no, exactly. But at the same time, it's like now that I know better, I can't really tell you. Oh, you know, you, you know what's funny? You're right about that. You can't go too motivational now. Like, oh, you know, there's a brighter day. You know that you know the sun shines on the other side of the rainbow. Yeah. You know the wheel turns around. You know yeah, you can't. There's only so much you could say because, like you said, you lived in that atmosphere. You lived in that space. Yeah. But. To me, that is one of the saddest things is. for me to hear. It is. Because to me, that says you don't know anything past 24 hours. Exactly. So how am I going to sit here and talk about 15 years down the road? When you can't even conceptualize the next 24 hours. 15 days down the road. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, I might get bodied. Like, it's, it's real out here. So Quit. it's like, how because am I going to... Because dudes know I got a little bit of bread. I caught a lawsuit. Exactly. You know exactly. how that is. And world travels when you live in these yeah. areas. Yeah. And... Let's just be real. It doesn't help that all of a sudden you on the block. You like, fresh. yo, we about to go to, not only are you fresh, 
your boys are now fresh because now we going to the club. We all going out. We Bottle eating. service. Everything is we different. Strip club. We throwing bands. You know, it's what I'm true. Saying? Everything like, is different now. Everything is different. And then that's where you find the one in your crew that is a lot more upset with you than they are happy with you. Because mm. now all of a sudden, this motherfucker think he's flying now. Yeah. Even though they're living off of what you're exactly. supplying. Exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, like you said, the same thing. Exactly, exactly. So that actually leads perfectly into our next topic. Seeing past your immediate environment. Once again, it is so easy for us to say this now and where we're at in our lives. But the reality is, and I know it's hard, I'm not saying this is easy. Keep in mind, everything we've talked about tonight. We're not saying like, oh, it's easy. Just do just that and the other. It's very, very, very difficult because everything we're talking about is based on our personal life experience. And if you haven't lived that, that, that life experience that we're talking about, everything we're saying might fall on deaf ears because it's like, yeah, all right, that's all well and good from what y'all motherfuckers are saying. But, you know, y'all motherfuckers got like three, four bedroom houses out in the suburbs living nice. Got a business, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, you y'all living comfortable. Yeah. Now. But the what difference led to this? but the difference being I can relate to exactly where you are because we were there. So don't think about like oh where we're at now on some like we, we like we grew up like on some like Mr. Drummond from fucking different strokes or some shit. Yeah, like no, that. let's be clear. Like so <clears throat> it's not real life. I live directly in the hood. In the hood For 17 years of my life Like Hope said Not the not the rap hood Not the, the You know what I'm saying no, Not the music real. video Like, like the real I live directly yeah. In the hood For 17 years of my life So I can relate to Almost anything That we talk about On this That's you know Part of the hood I, I mean, While I was working In banking I was living directly In the hood I lived in Harlem At the time And the I was literally. I was. Harlem. I was. Yeah. Yes. Pre, I was pre, gentrification Harlem. I was. I was in the last neighborhood that got gentrified in Harlem. I was still living in there. So, you know, I guess I was living in, in a different. You know, when I woke up, put my suit suit and tie on, and I went to the to the bank. Yeah, I was in another world. But when I came home, I was walking through people smoking weed right in front of the building, music blasting, cops coming through, you know, harassing, searching people. So Still seeing crackheads on the block? Yeah, definitely, definitely, man. So, yeah, we, we're definitely coming from a perspective of we've lived this. We're not just talking like we, we ain't never seen any of this. Exactly. So it's, once again, it sounds easy for us, but I encourage people as best possible, travel when I say travel, I don't mean take a cruise down to the Caribbean. I mean, like, get out of your immediate environment and do something different to see a different lifestyle. Because what you're living, it might seem like, quote unquote, real life, but it's all relative. Wait, what does D-Block say? Get off your block. Exactly. Because when you say, oh, okay, you know, I live in this environment or whatever. All right, cool. That's your reality. But somebody like, let's say... I don't know. Jared Kushner grew up with money. Ivanka Trump grew up with money. Their reality is just as real as your reality. It just doesn't seem real to you because it's not your reality, but it's all relative. So what I'm saying is try to see past your immediate environment and understand 
that the shit that you see on a day-to-day basis is just your reality it's not an objective reality it's purely subjective it's your reality it's not reality as a general premise so as best possible try to expand your horizons try to experience things that are different from what you see on a day-to-day basis and on top of that whatever your ambitions or goals are reach out to somebody that's living that ambition or goal no you're right right. so if you want to if you're in the hood and you want to be i don't know a car mechanic with your own shop right working on let's say high-end european vehicles and if you master that You'll be making money for the rest of your life. Yeah, 100% right. And what I want to tell you too is <clears throat> use the hood as a practice ground. See, I did that as a, as, a, as a young kid. I utilized the drug dealers, the old timers. I listened and talked to everyone and took pieces of their stories. And if you could survive in those atmospheres, understand you could survive in any corporate structure anywhere. Yes, it's nothing. Because you've gone through so much, nothing. you don't realize it because it's your daily normal. Exactly. It's the norm for you. Exactly. But if you would realize that you go through so much on a day-to-day basis, you can handle anything. anything. Yo, when I got to You're actually more school, qualified yeah, exactly, personally exactly. than you are. Because you've been through more shit. When and got, you've dealt with more people, more characters, more personalities. When I got to law school, and I was dealing with some of these dudes, I would look at them like, yo, what you're complaining about? That's not anything. Like, what the fuck it's are you talking mad, about? It's mundane. Yeah, it's like, it, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. Like, what are you talking about? What are you complaining about? And then it took We had me- to shop at ShopRite instead of <laughs> Pathmark this weekend. Or, or Whole Foods. Or like, Whole Foods. Like, it's like, you start to realize, like, oh, shit. How I... And this is why I will never regret. Now, granted, I don't have any kids yet. But when I do have kids, I don't want them to grow up necessarily like I, how I grew up. Because obviously, you want to provide and, and give them the, all the advantages that they could possibly have. But at the same time, I don't regret how I grew up. Because... It toughened me up and it made me realize, like, you know what? Everything that I'm doing is all gravy right now. Because I can go back and still survive and make it back out all over again. If you were to land back there, you would end up coming back out uh, because you know how to. You have that knowledge. The The big thing about that, though, is just having the opportunity to come from that. You are able to bestow a different type of information or a wealth of information to your kin yeah exactly you know exactly and i'll I'll say this so and i've mentioned this in the podcast before so i I went to howard university uh down in dc hu and you know and i i will and i've always said this to anybody who i've had a conversation with about my experience there howard university saved my life and the reason i say that is because before I went to Howard, I had never met black people whose parents were HBCU alums or university alums. Successful. Yeah, successful. And their parents' parents. And, yeah. and, they, and they grew up like some Cosby show shit. It was like, yeah, my mother's a Like that was real. Yeah, my mother's a lawyer. My father's a doctor. And like, like, put it this way. I don't know. I know uh, Keenan that was just on, on the, on the yes. podcast with us. He has kids. His kids are going to grow up Saying that my mom is a surgeon And my dad's a successful entrepreneur Yeah And has, a, and has his and doctorate has a PhD. Yeah, yeah exactly And it's going to be nothing for them No because it's the norm for them Exactly So I went to school with kids like that And it fucking blew my mind Yeah Because and I had a, When I got to law school I, I uh, met a friend Or met, met a person that I became friends with And 
and I would always joke with her because her parents were together. They lived in Cambria Heights, and, and for those that don't know, Queens. Yeah, do you? And for those that don't know, that not even in New York, even though I grew up in New York and never even heard of Cambria Heights. The only reason why I did though, I, I knew a lot about Cambria. I have family, I have family there. Okay. So I had never known about it. Marcy and them are from out there. Oh, okay. So I go out there, hang out with her and her, her family, and it's like this black community of all homeowners, middle class black families. Yes. And I was like, yo, I yo, didn't even know this shit existed. Yo, 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 so I actually went there often, yeah. young, and that ruined my perception because understand i'm living in this crazy hood jungle right and now i'm going to visit my aunt yeah. who live in cambria heights and like you said it's the the streets are riddled with houses <laughs> not buildings houses houses with lawns Beautiful and everything's manicured and yeah. everything looks now nice listen, everybody's house was on top of everybody else it wasn't like yeah. there was so much space but yeah. you had a front lawn yeah and you had a backyard yeah this chick had a, had a uh, It was an above ground pool But it was still a fucking pool I was a, like yeah. I was A like, pool even more Look at that I was like you, you have a fucking pool So I would always joke with her I was like yo I grew up on some good time shit You grew up on some Cosby show shit <laughs> That is a great yeah. Fucking analogy I was like yo That, that shit is crazy It was crazy to me at the time It was for me too You know because you said though What really messed me up Was like you said I saw Black And brown Homeowners, yeah, living a nice life. Yeah, like it was, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. Tree line neighborhoods. Yeah, it was real nice, real nice. And, For New York, it was yeah. taboo. And, and and the second thing that opened my mind to like just the world in general. So when I was I was very you know fortunate. I just got out of law school, and some of my people that I went to Howard with, um, were getting a group trip together. And you know, I was um, I was talking to the shorty at the time. We were supposed to go on a cruise or whatever, and then things. Brazil trip. Yes. Yeah. And and things fell apart for me and her, so I just didn't go on the cruise with her. But I had saved up for the cruise. So you had so, money to go. Let's exactly. go. Exactly. So then my people hit me up. I was like, Yo, Conway, yo, yo, we got this. We had this idea. We're trying to get this group trip going. I was like, Oh, where y'all going? Yeah, we're going to Rio de Janeiro. What was your for honestly? Mm. Like, just be brutally honest, yeah. right? Right now, I'm. Your boys is like you just asked that question. Yeah. You had asked literally where we're going. Yeah. yeah, we're going to Rio de Janeiro. So what is your my first first reaction? Yes, on some real shit. Yeah, yeah. I was afraid of flying. Oh, <laughs> and that's you a very been, long. Been that's I, a yeah. far. Yeah. That's far away. And, and that's the thing that a lot of black people don't talk about. Yeah, we you know we do not like getting on planes if you have never been nowhere. But but why? So, because you're not accustomed to exactly. It. It's, it's it lack, lack which of goes experience. to the whole. Which I hate the joke that black people can't swim. Yeah, that's another thing. Now the real reason behind that is because motherfuckers wasn't allowed in the pool back in the day. Yeah, let's exactly. just be real. Yeah, we weren't allowed to. Or in a swimming facility. Yeah, let alone a beach. Yeah. Forget about it. So it was like, yo, we're going to Rio, and I was like, yo, that sounds mad cool, but I'm like, yeah, I'm afraid of. So needless to say, I got shit faced before I got on the plane. I was just about to ask, how <laughs> fucked up did you get? Considerably fucked up. And on the flight back, me personally, I would have had edibles on that flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, it, but this is wait, this is two thousand. Yeah, no, this is five. If I came to you with edibles in two thousand five, you would really look at me like I had fifteen heads. Yeah, because that wasn't what? that wasn't a thing. Not for us. Yeah, not for us. Yeah, not white, for us. Yeah, white people's on the They've shit. They've been like, on that yeah, since yeah, the sixties. Like yeah, sixties. I was to say. Um, but yeah, man. So it was like, and I got there, and yo, much like um, Keenan was just saying. It's a black country. It's actually the largest black country it on is. the planet. So I got there and just saw so many beautiful black people. 
and it was and and because of the way we dressed, they knew we were American. And Absolutely. They just embraced us. We got so much love out there. It was so crazy. You know, I was signing. And you hear horror stories you know, from Brazil. I, I was signing autographs out there. <laughs> really? Because they were like, because in their mind, because keep in mind, you're a ball player. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was some mad racist shit that happened too. So obviously everybody's from Howard, so everybody's black. And the crew that I was rolling, rolling with, we were all big dudes. So I'm about six one, six two. At the time, I was probably like one eighty five. Everybody else was either my height or a little bit shorter, but bigger than me. So we get on a plane, and the fucking flight attendant is like, "Oh, and what sports team do we have here with oh, us today?" Shit. He's like, "Well, fuck, we in a sports team. Wow. Yeah, well, like, we're fucking college graduates. I'm a fucking lawyer. Like, yeah, fuck motherfucker, you. yeah, yeah fuck you." So anyway, I'm about to sue your ass. <laughs> so, Defamation of character. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we um. You know, we, we get embraced by all these black people. I'm, I'm signing autographs and whatnot. And it's like, because from their perspective, Brazil is not exactly a, a wealthy country, right? In terms of like the people, the, the higher ups in the government obviously have money, but like the, the, the people, the everyday people don't have money like that. So from their perspective, all they know is rap videos and like what the, what's portrayed in the media as us as, as celebrities and, and sports figures. So they're thinking, oh, all they know is we had enough money to get on a plane to go from the United States to Brazil. And if you have that kind of money, you must be rich. You're exactly. somebody, yeah. You must be somebody. You must be a celebrity or something. Yeah. Can I get you? Can I take a picture with you? Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, at this point in time, I'm pretty sure I still had cornrows and I was rocking my Allen Iverson jersey <laughs> hard. <laughs> so maybe there. they might have been a little, you know. Yeah, so there might have been a little confusion or whatever. And I had tattoos. Well, you know how it is. They all look the same anyway. Yeah. That's him. <laughs> So I'm signing autographs and taking pictures with people. Yeah, it was that's it was, funny it was as shit though, cool. bro. It was bad, cool though, man. But I had that happen once. Where Miami? It was. Well, you wasn't even out of the country. So no, it was, it was uh, here. I, I definitely want to hear the story. I was in my prime, so I was jacked up and um, jacked up, meaning I was my peak shape. Probably it's probably about twelve years ago, and I remember being at a. We had gotten shit faced the night before at Mangoes. And we had gotten Mangos. up. Mangoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. OC took Drive. It <laughs> I took it back. And uh, we had gone out for breakfast the next morning. And I literally was so shit faced. We, I literally went to bed like at five in the morning and it was like eight now. Mm. So we're going to get some to eat because we don't want to waste days. We're only down there for a few days. So um, I had worn my, uh, I had uh, some training gear from the Jets that I had got. Mm. And I had worn that out. Now, like I said, when I was in my peak shape, mm -hmm. I was probably like 250 solid. Mm -hmm. Jacked the fuck up wearing this gear that the owners swore to God that they saw me playing for you, the... Yeah. You, you wasn't a linebacker? You was the middle linebacker for that, the Jets? They, the, <laughs> the only dude I could have assumed that they thought I was was probably James Farrier just because of the complexion. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, at the end of the day, whatever. I got... Uh, free breakfast for the eight of us <laughs> out of it and I took about five pictures and I signed about five autographs yeah. I, they had no idea who the fuck I was I had that experience in uh, Rome but this is younger I was see I, that's out the country I was in 16 years old though. so I'm the only one that signed autographs in the country in the country let's yeah. go but no imagine, but that's dope though imagine this experience at 16 years old you're in another country and we're playing a game and after the game, people are literally coming up to us, like, asking for autographs. You're a 16-year-old kid so in high school. Let's put this in perspective, though. This takes us back to, what, 96, 97? This was 96, yeah. So, 
Now, you know, basketball had literally just crossed over yeah. into the European yeah, market a few years prior. because yeah, the dream team. We, exactly. We thought we were professional basketball players. No, but realistically, though, they're seeing it as you were. Yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're seeing it as your kids over here playing ball. That means you guys are the next guys that are going to be on you TV. You must be nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you were those professional athletes for them or the future. Yeah. Going, you know, so that into, is a great experience. Going into McDonald's, people asking for autographs. They didn't know who we were. They just saw some. It some didn't bl- matter. Some young black kids. Black, black Americans. Though. Black oh, Americans. That's what it was. Yeah. Tall black Americans. Basketball yeah. playing ass. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's definitely so. Again, so, get, get out the hood. Yeah. Get off your block like so deep blocks. You do need to travel. And I did mention the word Miami before, meaning, you know, where I was. You, I, I'm not sure, was it Keenan that said a certain percentage of black folk own a passport? Yeah, it was Keenan. Yeah, 5%. Yeah. 5%. Listen, guys, there, um, there's so many, <laughs> obviously after COVID, you know, we're done with this whole yeah, shit. Yeah, after that. There are yeah. so many beautiful places in the world to travel to. Expand your mind. Get yeah, a passport. Yeah. Get out. It's okay. It's safe. Go do your research. You yeah. can go places and enjoy things. You don't have to go to Miami. You yeah. don't have to go to Atlanta. You don't have to go to LA. You don't Those, have to go to Jamaica. Jamaica. Even that. So, and, and that's true. That's, that's leaving. True. Go to Brazil. Go to Colombia. Go to go to Costa West, Rica. Go to West Africa. Go to yeah. West Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much more. Go to fucking Iceland if you want. Yeah. Just go. Go. Yeah. Go. You know what? If you never heard this before, I'm gonna tell you something now. It's a secret. You're gonna fucking die. <laughs> okay. At some point in time, you're gonna fucking die. Get so over it. Get over it. It just go, and if you can, I'm not telling you to be irresponsible because this is an episode that we're talking about financial planning and yeah. you know yeah. making sure that you set yourself up correctly. Yeah. Do not take your savings account and clean it out to go no. for a trip unless, God forbid, you're dying. And yeah. in that case, please spend go every penny. Yeah. Actually, go take out a loan yeah. and then do it. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it gets. I think unless there's no next to kin sign, I think that gets. Absorbed by the credit bureau. Yeah, they gotta yeah. eat that. They yeah. eat that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's an illegal jewel right there. But that's a jewel nonetheless. But seriously, yeah. go travel. Yeah, no, Get definitely, out. definitely. And here's another thing that I realized: when people say travel places like Europe, South America, West Africa, oh, that's that's fancy. That's like expensive. There are so many deals right now online. Vegas is expensive. For Miami can be expensive. Yeah, for like uh, flight deals. So the same money that you were saving up to take a cruise to Cozumel and Jamaica and Puerto Rico. That you money can, that you spent. Yeah, you can go there anytime, guys. But I was just that. Like the same amount of money, you can go to Europe. No, you can right. go to no, West right. Africa. You, you can, can go to South America. No, you're right. Yeah. Now you might go on the humble. You're not going to be in a, some five star hotel. Well, no, no. It but but you can go. You get an it doesn't experience. matter. Exactly. You're getting an experience. It's the experience. And, and to the point, what I meant by that is just that let's just be realistic. It's easier for you to plan a vacation to Jamaica for three, four days than it is to try to plan a trip to Europe. Yeah. So the reason why I said, you know, get away from Jamaica, Puerto Rico. I, I wish I could have gone to Cuba yeah. like you did. Yeah. You know, um, get out to those other steps. Go to those other places that are not directly a part of your your reach. And speaking of getting out, let's talk about the next and uh, the next topic: going from the hood to the suburbs. Oh boy. <laughs>
This is an interesting one. So, all right. Malik, I will say, just based off the topic, mm-hmm. hood to the suburbs. Yes. What could you say your experience was transferring from the hood to the suburbs? Because real talk, we live in the hood. We, we don't live in the hood anymore. No. No. And it's funny, my brother teases me all the time because he's still... I don't say he's in the hood, but he's in the Bronx. He's close to the element. He's, he's I like using the word element. Yeah. yeah. He gets upset with me, like, dude, why you never come see me, man? You're like, you you always out there, you don't come. And that's and yes, I do. When I do, the only reason I go into the city, to be honest, is either for a business meeting or to see my family. I'm with you. I, I, Other than you. that, I have no reason to go into the city, especially to pay that toll. And then that toll, and then trap. No, just you know what's cr- the traffic is the biggest thing. So you didn't I'm mind not- traveling on the Cross Bronx back in the day? No, because it was a part of <laughs> where we had to. That go. was your lifestyle. That was what you would. But now that you you're in the suburbs, you don't have to deal with that. To go back to that, you come home and you got to take a deep breath. Like holy shit, it just took me an hour and a half to get home. You know what I'm saying? And so you feel it. You feel it. Like it wears on you. You know, after a while, but. Yeah, so but does this elaborate on your, your your actual transfer from the hood to the suburbs? So just going back, I grew up in Yonkers. Lived in Yonkers till I was fifteen, but I always went to school in the Bronx. So that's why I consider myself more of a Bronx guy. Why yo? Why yo what up? BX. So I was in the hood in Yonkers. Everybody hears the Yonkers, and yes, I wasn't in that central. Yonkers was a six. I wasn't in that Central Avenue and part. And there's two sides. And it's yeah, I was well, in I was in the other side, the dark side sides. that people didn't go to. That dark side where X and Kiss and you know we grew Mary up. With, Blige, we grew up with Kiss and we yeah. grew up with Sheik and all that. Catch your ass on the other hand. Yeah, and like hand. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Ferran. Ferran, my man Ferran. So um, like to the point where like we. I'm sure you remember this Conway We would walk down the street And we would see DMX Walking down the street With his dog And you across the street Yes sir Like that's how dangerous Like my hood was But I always went to school In the Bronx And then I moved to the Bronx And then I lived in the Bronx Went away from school Came back And then I went back to Westchester But once I You know got married And started a family I moved to Harlem And like I said earlier I was in that last neighborhood of Harlem that got gentrified. So I was still in the hood while I was making really good money, working in, in the banking world, work, working for J.P. Morgan, making good money, but I was still coming back to the hood. So the hood has never left me. It's still in me. It's still embedded in me. But at the end of the day, I knew I wanted better for my kids. Once you start having kids, it your, changes your, your whole your, fucking your perspective. perspective changes immediately because you think I don't I grew up around this. And again, goes back to the to the topic in the beginning, generational curses. I don't want my children to go through this. Correct. And the last straw was I was in Harlem, walking to the train station. I'm with my wife, with my 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 son was in um in a stroller at the time, and we're going into the train station. I'm coming down the stairs. I never forget this. I swear this shit was like some freaking Netflix movie. Coming down the stairs, and I had to you know when you coming down the stairs, you pick up the stroller, and I'm walking down the stairs. And I see like four like diesel white dudes just come from the other side of the fucking uh, <laughs> DTs from the other side. Yeah, if that's, you, if that's you're why in New I York, had to drop that you know right there. That and they're just running. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, they they after somebody. Within ten seconds, you just hear gunfire. Bah, 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 bah. I'm like, dude, it was like a movie. And later later on, I looked. I read the newspaper report, and they said that there was a family that jumped on this stroller. That was me. 
I lost my, I never forget, I lost my shoe because I went and jumped on top of my son on the stroller to, to cover him, to, to shield myself because I didn't know where the gunfire was. Of course, and it didn't matter. That's, yeah. that's instinct right there. So we get on the train and we were going downtown at the time and I'm looking at my wife and at the time. Wait, wife, hold on. After that experience, you continued going where you were going. We had to. We were going to do our taxes, so we we had to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get I had to get it done. There was no going back home. I, and we always wait to the last minute. You know, black folk. We always wait to the last minute. <laughs> Gotta pay the tax. Gotta man. pay the tax man. I love it. So we're on the train. I'm looking at. You my see wife. it over. That's the beauty of podcast. I like yeah. the the realness in that. All right. I'm sorry, man. So Go ahead. We're on the train, and I'm still shaking. You know, obviously, I've been yeah. around gunfire, but no, not, but now it's your kids. It's my kids. Yeah, that's different. And so I'm looking at my wife, and at the time, she wasn't really ready to leave. We were talking about kind of going back to Keenan's conversation. We were like, no, we're in Harlem. This is the perfect time. Let's invest in our black community. You know, nigga, that shit went out. It's time to go. That shit went out the toss. I looked at her. I'm like, you ready to leave now? She said, yeah. Yeah, that's it. We're out. Like Biggie said, two words, I'm gone. Yeah, gone. (laughs) Real talk, man. You know what I'm saying? So, like, literally from there. Because you can live the talk about the experience. Yeah, man. So we just started planning, and I was like, yo, I'm getting out of here, man. Getting out of here now that I'm in the suburbs. Yes, I've changed, but but not the hood is still in me. You're always gonna have those hood instincts. You're always gonna have those things that you grew up with. But at the same time, you're not you're not like when I if I if I drive up to my house at three o'clock in the morning, I'm not looking around. Actually, I am just because of the instincts. But I'm not. That as, doesn't leave. That doesn't leave. But no, I'm not. As, I'm not as worried. You know what I mean? Because just in case any of y'all listening, don't don't yeah, get don't, it twisted. Don't don't like, try. like don't. yo. Right. Real talk. Just, just don't get it twisted. I have cameras all over, and I have an arsenal in the house. Don't. Yeah, I'm just saying. Just anyway, don't get it twisted. You, but, you, 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 we're aware of that shit. So, you know, so to answer your question, yeah, going from the hood to the suburbs, it's it's a transition, but it's definitely a transition that once you get there, you 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 respect where you've come from, but you know you don't want to go back, and that's what actually pushes you even more to be successful and to change your ways, and that's kind of leads to the topic of what we're talking about is that. Yes, take those experiences you've had, but now learn from them. So my thing is, that's what keeps me going. That's what drives me is that I don't want to go back to what I what I grew up with. And you know what? It, it, it's it's you, what you just spoke to. I was reading this article, and I don't remember what magazine it was in, but The Rock, Wayne Johnson, was being interviewed. Like that guy. And um, I want to say the name of his production company is Seven Bucks, because. He said at his worst, before he became the mega international superstar that he is now, he had seven bucks in his pocket. Mm. And that's his, that was his last seven bucks. And as successful as he is now, he says what pushes him and what drives him is he remembers that last seven dollars that he had in his pocket. And he was like, I never want to go back to that again. And that's what drives me. Despite whatever I have in my bank account now, he's like, and despite the notoriety and the popularity and the success that he has right now, what continually pushes him is I never want to go back to being that dude that had seven bucks in his pocket. Yeah, man. And that's that's what should push you, man. And not listen, the suburbs is the suburbs. There's crime here also, just on a different level. But... I they break into your cars. Yeah, break into your cars. You got, uh, you know, wait, time out. Pill time poppers. Out. Time, time out. Pill time poppers. Out. Yes, it does happen 
but infrequently. No, no, yeah, yeah, that's why I, I, was, I was being sarcastic. The Bronx in the eighties, <laughs> bro. Like you talking about breaking stuff. in the cars? No, bro, no, for real. Well, that's why they invented the radio. You could take upstairs with you because of that shit. Yeah. Exactly. Real talk. You remember that shit? And I remember when it was the box size yeah. like when they had to pull the whole exactly. radio out. And remember the bump, not the bumper sticker, the the, the, the sign you put in your window. There's no radio in my car. <laughs> just to let you know, just don't break my window because yeah. I ain't got enough money to fix this motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. <clears throat> my yeah. transformation, though, from the hood to the suburbs was a little different. I had lived directly in the hood for 17 years. I lived in the Bronx. I grew up on Webb Avenue between Kingsbridge and 190th. And right near the VA, right? Right in front of the VA. Yeah. My my window, when I opened my front window, I looked at the VA hospital. I, mean, I actually saw that hospital built because I remember the old one get knocked down. Mm-hmm. And I grew up while they built that one that's currently standing. Mm-hmm. And I saw that all. If you actually know what I'm talking about, to the left, if you're facing the VA hospital, there's a red church yes. that's still there. Yep. That was the original color of the original hospital. Okay. Same brick. Okay. So when they knocked that down, they built it into this uh, gray steel, um, you know, hospital that it is now. Yeah. But, um. Like, real quick. Yeah. Side note. My pops used to work there. Are you shitting me? Yeah. So, just just real quick, um, told my generational curses. My grandfather, who I never met because he died before I was born, had a substance abuse problem. My pops had a substance abuse problem. He went to the VA for help. And he, not only that, he turned it around and became a substance abuse counselor. counselor. And he worked at, at the, the VA. VA. Yep. Look at that shit. Yeah. So there was probably times that your pops was looking out the window watching us getting chased by security. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, yeah, yeah, and again, if you lived in the area, you understood what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, we... That the only patch of grass we had where I grew up from was on the other side of the fence of the VA hospital. Yeah. It was the grass right next to their parking lot. Yeah, yeah. So when we played football, we used to have to sneak through. If we were lucky, um, some of the older kids on the block would space out some of the bars in the fence for yeah, us. Yeah. Using like a jack of a car. Yeah, yeah. You know, we would sneak through the bars and be able to just climb up and play a little bit of catch. Yeah. Play football on grass. Like yeah. that was the only time yeah. we saw grass. But anyway. I lived there directly for 17 years. And then my parents were able to make their first home purchase and we moved over to Allerton Avenue. Now at the time, Allerton Avenue in 96, 97. That's that's where I moved when I moved to the Bronx. I lived closer to Eastchester Road, so I still lived around predominantly Italian, old Italian neighbors. So I was one of the first brown and black families actually i was the only brown or black family that lived on the street at the time my neighbors are still italian so i moved from the hood to the suburb directly and i found out right then and there how uncomfortable it is to actually feel that you've made a step out of one element but now i've walked into another element because now you're the odd one out yes yeah so there aren't other teenagers directly in that block that dress like me, mm. acted like me, mm. had friends like I have. Mm-hmm. Played the music that you Played had in your car. Played the music that I did in my car, <laughs> yes. Because <Yeah>. I, <laughs> yo, I used to drive around with a, not, let's make it clear. I had a system when I had gotten my MPV, but my first car was an 87 Stanza. Mm. And that Stanza I had the literally. Nissan Stanza. Yeah. That was the hood staple back in the day. Yo. I got that car. My pops got me that car. No I thought it was tr- no trunk. 
<laughs> All boom. <laughs> well, I actually substituted the back seat for a speaker once too. Yeah. Because I put a DJ speaker in the back seat. So um <laughs> I don't believe I did that, that's true. No, but those were the days. Those were the days. Yeah, that is crazy. No, but the whole experience of like living that way in a neighborhood that isn't anything like that was very difficult. So I also felt now uncomfortable when I thought I had gotten out, I had realized that I don't belong. Yeah. You understand? It's like a fish out of water. Big time. Yeah. And then at the same time, I had the privilege of going to private school. You know, my, my, my parents did work hard enough to be able to afford to send me to St. Raymond's High School in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. You know, so now I'm and in St. high school. Ray's? You know, there's another set there too of rules because you had some kids that came from money you know and it was segregated but it was different segregated yeah yeah it wasn't racial racial segregation it was just more of tax bracket segregation it was a tax bracket it was also though kids that were on the verge of wanting to learn more about each other so we weren't as standoffish with each other as maybe four years before us gotcha so the Italian kids, mm. they did click together, mm. but they wanted to know and be a part of our culture. That's cool. And the same way we wanted to learn about them yeah, and theirs, yeah. it was more of an affluent. Malik, I mean, Malik was in my class, for Christ's sake. I'm not talking here by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you agree with that, that it was a very diverse class that oh, was well definitely. put together, though? And that, that actually molded us because we, we didn't grow up around just our own. We grew up around a lot of different kids, the Italians, you know what I mean? And we had opportunities to hang out in their neighborhoods. Yes, exactly. Where they, they showed, showed us, us off. They showed and they us showed love. us off to their friends. Yeah, they showed us love. And you got the love, exactly. So you yeah. started realizing, well, wait a minute. This whole transformation from the hood to the server isn't that bad. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, you know what I mean? It's still something that I could relate a little bit to. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I you know, you. so I went to there, though, and then from there... Having kids, mm-hmm. yeah. having multiple mm-hmm. kids, you outgrow your mm-hmm. two-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I started realizing was that, and it's real talk, the main reason why I left, I had a beautiful apartment on Mace Avenue right off of uh, East Chester Road. Mm-hmm. But my landlords were Italian. Their son-in-law, their son and their daughter-in-law lived downstairs to me. So I'm in between both of them. And at the end of the day, I realized that my normal way of living just didn't go with theirs and that goes to the notion of how black and brown people are loud or we you know we we, we play music loud which or is, which is why they police us different so i really felt that yeah. it was to a point where you know we couldn't even play music on a friday night past 10 o'clock wow, without somebody complaining that yeah. sucks. you know what i mean so after a while it grew on us and then my son Aaron at the time had just started walking the 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 son-in-law and the mother and then his wife downstairs would complain even on a Saturday like I had I had to keep my kids in their room to at least nine o'clock so they can get their sleep that was it for me I had literally just gotten a job with Con Ed Um, my credit had jumped I had done my own investing with my stock plans. Mm-hmm. I had done my own investing with my own 401. Yeah. I learned the rules. I was a stop steward for over 12 years in Con Ed. So I was always privy to a lot of the negotiations that went in place with, mm-hmm. you know, just all this stuff. Yeah. So I was also privy to have 
older generation workers. To give you that knowledge. To tell me yeah, on yeah. top of my pops, but more than my pops even still because my dad didn't get a chance to really get that knowledge that he should have because during the time frame when the bubble was happening, he was still brown. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you ain't part of the white crew. Yeah. And that's how it was in their 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 you know their time space for that job. But again, the transformation for me then was just I need to get my family out of here. Mm-hmm. I decided to move to Jersey. Mm-hmm. Get a nice house in the in the real 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 suburbs. Well, just something that I didn't have to have somebody above me and below me yeah. to yeah. be able to complain. You have your own space. You could do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, and with respect, are, still because yeah. I still respect the fact that I have neighbors. And yeah. I was gonna say, and you're on a diverse street also. Yes, so I you, am. You don't feel uncomfortable now. Not at all. You know what I mean? Not at all. If we and, wanted and, and to just, go hang out there right now, we yeah. could. I could put the music on. You know, we've done yeah. that before. And, and, and just to give people like a little perspective, like if you're not in the the Northeast and don't know about Teaneck, New Jersey, which is where Ryan lives, which is where I live, um, Teaneck has a long history of black and brown professionals. Oh, yeah. um, Isley Brothers. Isley Brothers are from here. Um, Frank Lucas, Frank when Lucas. he was making his money, he was here. Biggie. Biggie lived here. Little Kim. Yeah, so like a lot of people... Uh, of color um, and prominent people of color yes. have lived in Teaneck. So when you move out here to the suburbs, it's yes, it's the suburbs, but it's not lily white suburbs. It's no. still a very black, a very diverse. It's very diverse. Yeah, you yeah. can find places in suburbs where you still get the diversity. You definitely can. And even, I, and even with that, there still wasn't a place like Smoke and Ashes, which is why we built the establishment that we built. 200 Warhaven Drive. Teaneck, New Jersey. So that people who look like us yeah, can feel comfortable. Comfortable. No, you're right, though. Chill. We play music. We have DJs on Friday. We play our music. We play our music. Mm-hmm. Real cool spot. You can just slide. I want to say something real quick. Man. Yeah. Play it loud how we want it. <laughs> so, one of the funniest moments I've ever had being a part of Smoking Ashes here was two Sundays ago. Yes. <laughs> so, Let's speak we, on it. We had an event thrown here uh the smoke nick yes which was a smoke out session with cigars and picnic mixed together hence the name smoke nick stevie genius right was yes. dj yes yeah they shout brought out, out an amazing they brought shout out, out nikki shout, shout out nikki and her crew they brought out an amazing crew on a sunday afternoon shout out gloria the owner of uh blue, blue smoke, smoke out yeah. in brooklyn correct bk burrow so the reason why I'm elaborating on this is if you've never been to Smoke and Ashes, <clears throat> we are located predominantly in a Jewish neighborhood. Yeah. And we're in the middle of a Jewish footprint. And on a Sunday is usually the day that they're done with their, uh, their, Sabbath. Yeah, their Sabbath. So they come back out on Sundays. It's like a celebratory time for them. To, I, think, I, I believe they fast too during that time. Yeah. So, you know, they come back out and the big thing is to go out and eat. You know, it's part of their culture. So we're attached (laughs) to a very, listen, guys, if I'm not a steak eater anymore, but if you're into steaks, there is an amazing steakhouse in Teaneck, New Jersey. And there's two of them. I have to give some props to Regina's. Regina's, yeah. Yeah. But right next door to us, our neighbors, ETC. They also have a good vegetarian because you had a good. Vegetarian. I was going to elaborate on that. Yeah. So general manager, the general manager over there, Jesse, uh, he had offered to when we first moved in. He had offered to bring me a steak. We were working here. I told him, Nah, listen, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat, but thank you. 
So you ended up going inside and having the chef cook up some oyster mushrooms. He, they prepared it the same way that they did their ribeye. Mm. Served it on their same bed of vegetables and Ooh, everything. that ribeye. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, they nailed that. Mm. And I know that Malik got a chance to get the ribeye. Definitely got experience. So etc. is a, 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 I would say they're like a Morton's in mm-hmm. the Jewish community yeah. for kosher yeah. restaurants. But their food is amazing, especially their steaks. And that people day. come here far and wide. We watch their reservations pile on. Yeah. So on Sundays, they're usually pretty booked. So this Sunday, this particular Sunday, we had our first big Sunday yeah. event. <laughs> and when I tell you there was about 75 outside with, I'm talking about, for one, they came decked out. It was a yes, beautiful they Sunday. They beautiful. came decked out. We had all the furniture outside for them. I'm talking about all the leather couches, all the leather chairs. We brought it out. And they showed out. They came out with their picnic baskets, their picnic spreads. One table had brought their own, um, their linens, their own cutlery. Yeah. They laid their own glasses. They had their cheeses with flags, letting you know this was brie. This one was uh, a gouda. Like they laid out their entire table. And DJ Stevie Genius was killing it that day. Yeah. He did his thing. And it was a beautiful weekend. If If I'm not mistaken, it rained Friday. Yeah. And Saturday. Yeah. So Sunday was beautiful and everybody was pent up. Long story short, etc. had about 12 tables mm-hmm. with full customers, mm-hmm. Jewish customers. Mm-hmm. And our tent borders their, mm-hmm. their side where they start laying their yeah, tables season. down. Yeah. And when I tell you the, the culture, like the, the energy. Cu- the culture clash. Oh, yeah. man. It was... It was Come on, we can't lie. The three of us had spoken about this prior yeah. to. Yeah, I'm we, not just, we were I'm staring not even trying at them to, smiling. But I'm we like, knew why this was going to happen, though. Like, why are those guys just staring at us smiling? Oh, my God. But it was funny as hell because... It was fucking hilarious. Our, 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 our patrons were enjoying themselves. The music was vibing. They were getting up. They were sliding. They were dancing. They, yeah. were, they were enjoying themselves. Two-stepping, yeah. Two-stepping. And, and you get to watch the different cultures. Now, what's funny is... Some of the Jewish families that were there, some of the individuals were enjoying it. Yeah, mm-hmm. thoroughly. thoroughly. They, they were de- well. There's two sides. Some of them were dancing, and some of them were more mesmerized. Like, yeah. what the fuck is going on over there? To the point that I remember one particular table yeah. had the husband yeah, staring side. over at us, yeah. which were the area where everyone was dancing. And then about ten minutes later, we had looked outside. The wife was where the husband was. She was like, "Oh hell no, Hold you ain't gonna be watching that booty." <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing over. You're looking at that big booty. No, no, no. Turn around. But that was a uh, that was one of the more uh, amazing times I've had here, seeing how the culture. And, and that's how the suburbs are, man. If you just don't feel like again for those people who are, you know you're still living in the hood and you feel like if you come to the suburbs you're not gonna feel comfortable. Just be you. You can come out here and be you, and people will, will respect for the most part. People. Well, do your research to what yeah, suburb you're going to move. Where Make sure you know where you're going. Yeah. And yeah. we're we're pumping Teaneck right now because Teaneck is an awesome town, very diverse. Yeah, real. Cool. And you're not going to feel that uncomfortability when you come. Here, so. Since Definitely. we did talk about financial planning and planning and stuff, if you guys are ever in the market of buying a home, one thing I will tell you is this: if it's a little bit further than where you normally live to live at currently, I would always suggest finding a local hotel. And if you're really serious about buying the house, stay at that hotel for an entire week mm-hmm. and 
go to work from there, come back to the hotel, immerse live, yourself in the town, live in the town, yeah, go out and yeah. eat, go see what it's like at the supermarket. Oh, that's smart. You know, come back and see how you vibe. Because listen, sometimes you might think an area is for you, and you jump the gun, especially coming from the hood yeah. or an opportunity where you didn't have to get, you know, you'd have a means to get a house. Yeah. You know yeah. that. You normally shouldn't own. Yeah, yeah. I you came know. out here literally like four weeks straight on a weekend, every weekend, because I wanted to just see what was going on here and get the get the vibe. Get I didn't stay vibe. in a hotel, yeah. but I came out here like every week. Well, that's good. At least you gave it an attempt. So yeah. I, I just suggest that staying at the hotel is a lot cheaper than buying into a home that yeah. you're not comfortable in and you Definitely. feel like you have to move right away because you're paying a lot of closing costs, opening costs, yeah. this, that, that. Yeah. It's a mess. Down payment. Stay yeah. Down payment. You know, yeah. you're playing game with the bank and all this, getting your credit run. Just... Stay at a hotel, live in a town that you think is a town for you, and see what the vibe is. Definitely. And Definitely. if you vibe with it, now you can go forward with your, your purchase and you're, you're, you're in. Definitely. So real quick, just to give my little background story or whatever. So like Malik, um, so I've known Malik since I was like 12 years old. We grew up playing ball together, um, Trevor Park in, uh, in Y.O. Ravine, um, what up? Ravine, what up? Ravine, what up? What up? So... <clears throat> So basically, so my whole family's from the Bronx. Um, I grew up in Yonkers and the Bronx. So on the Yonkers side of things, Ravine Ave, um, which is the hood, which is where um, the locks are from, um, specifically uh, Jada lived like two blocks from Ravine. Styles. Yeah, Styles was like a few blocks away on La Martine, right? Yeah, Martine. Sheik lived in my complex. Yeah, Sheik, Sheik was on Ravine. Um, and then on the Bronx side of things, it was uh, Morris Projects on Washington Ave, East 169. So that was my growing up experience. And so then I go away to college. I come back, uh, I go to law school. So I'm living out in Jamaica, Queens, about a block and a half where, away from where uh, Jam Master J, uh, rest in peace, was uh, unfortunately murdered. Um, so even though it was better than where I grew up, it was still, you know, kind of still the hood. It was still real close to yeah, the yeah. element. And then, done with law school, I, I passed the bar, become an attorney. So then I moved to Riverdale. So the the non Bronx. Yeah. So so first of all, all you motherfuckers that are from Riverdale that try to be like, I'm from Riverdale, I'm not from the Bronx. Motherfucker, you from the Bronx? Yeah, it's, yo, like that's the only reason why I mentioned. It. I hated yeah, yo, that. I hate that because what you're basically saying is I don't want to be affiliated with black and brown people. Because no, when people think that. of the Bronx, they think like, oh, African American. Caribbean, Puerto Rican, Big Dominican, Puerto Rican yeah. Flags. So it's like you know what? Fuck you. You you from Riverdale? It's 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 a section of the Bronx. You're still in the fucking Bronx. You're not you're not bigger than the Bronx. Yeah, but at the same time, it is very different from the area of the Bronx that I'm familiar with. So when I moved there, I still to this day remember my brother came out because um, I was moving in furniture. So I was moving in a couch, and we, so it was a walk up. So I lived on the third floor, and my brother's helping me, but we're taking the couch upstairs and a white neighbor comes out and they're like, oh, wow, um, guys are moving the couch into the apartment. Who's moving in there? So they thought me and my brother were the movers. <laughs> and I was like, I'm moving in there. And they yeah, were like, it's me. Uh, yeah, me. Like, this is my spot. <clears throat> and they were like, oh, okay. Like, they got real uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker. Well, like, yeah. Like, now, keep in mind. Did you have a do-rag on when you were moving your shit into I probably did. <laughs> considering the eight, like, I was still very much a product of my environment. I probably did. I'm not even going to front. really fucked them up. They were like, oh, great. I'm probably. 
I probably You're did. You're moving in. No, knowing me at that point in time in my life, I probably did. Because I was like I said, I was like 26, 27 at the time. So then, from there, I stayed there for about seven years. And then I moved to, to Teaneck. Um, and I'm not even going to front, man. Like, I... So I bought a house. I'm in Teaneck. And once again, it's diverse, but it's still very, very suburban. My backyard, yo. I remember first, I remember when you moved in and we bought and the sheetrock over wait, the first time you And the turkey the was turkey. Walking, the turkey was walking down the fucking block. <laughs> yo. Only turkey I've ever seen was a fucking bird cooked on Thanksgiving. Real talk. And, uh, on, my, on my mother's table. So for the first like two, three years, keep in mind, like my fiance lives with me now, but the, the first five years of me living there, I was dolo. So that's an experience. Cause I've only lived out here. With a family Yeah I was by my damn self Yeah Living in a four bedroom house And The backyard At night Yo It took me like Two three years To be comfortable Damn nature You scary To be comfortable <laughs> you remember that To be segment? in my own Backyard By That's myself yo. Cause I was Yo I've seen Woodchucks I've seen Foxes I've, I've all types of animals A family of deer One time posted up in my backyard And I'm like yo I've never seen no shit like this before In my neighborhood So yeah, it, it definitely It definitely took um, Some getting used to Getting used to So The turkey was the big one though Yeah Yeah so um, at, at the end of the day Yeah it's gonna take some acclimation It's gonna take some time to, to get comfortable with it But if you choose the right Neighborhood That's the key right there Choose the right neighborhood You'll be good And and with that We're gonna get into Our, our final thoughts So Malik I'm, I'm gonna let you uh, Set it off With final thoughts So um, We touched on a lot today Obviously And um, Everyone has their own experiences um, What we try to do here On SNA Live Is definitely just Not only educate you But also give you Our perspective and it's again remember it's our perspective it's our opinion you know? our opinion it's our like opinion. an asshole we all got one yes exactly <laughs> so <laughs> all we're asking is just listen and and take it in take it for what it is okay we're not sitting here acting like we're better than anyone we're thank not you here yeah correct acting like you know we, we we're not high and mighty we're sitting on top of our throne no we're just we have we have an opportunity to have a platform and we're sharing our our opinions Yes. With you And we gave you guys knowledge We Not just from our perspective We gave you outside knowledge We gave you a financial advisor Who came he from humble beginnings Single family household To the point where he's at We gave you another gentleman who came from the hood And his story is crazy And you heard his story And look where he's at now So please don't take your 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 situation And your, your again, generational curses as an excuse you can do it. You can still do it. We're Definitely. just we're just giving we're get, we're providing you the platform and the information to help you at the end of the day. So I would say just I hope you guys got a lot out of this. I hope you took it and you're gonna implement it into your daily lives, into your your uh, your daily prayer or meditation, whatever it is that you do to help you grow as a person. Help. If your family people help you as a family, help your family. Because as we all talked about, we've, we've made this move not only to break our generational curses, but to now 
take this on to our our kids and, and our next generation so that they see something different that we that we grow up so i just hope you guys all got knowledge and 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 got a really good 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 perspective of different different people and different lifestyles from this this episode definitely. so so to touch on that <clears throat> you you hit a lot of the points i definitely was going to say um the one thing i will add to that mix is to start feeling comfortable with creating conversations with your family members your peers if you ask me right now about your future i would always ask you to show me your friends show me your circle yes show me the five four three two people that that show me your circle and i'm not a mind reader i'm not a psychic but i will tell you just based off experience and knowledge that seeing your circle i can dictate what your future is going to look like mm-hmm. so if you can learn how to create conversations with your spouse with your siblings with your parents with your peers talk about things that were normally not spoken about at your dinner tables mm-hmm. like you had mentioned earlier conway how families throughout the time when we grew up in the 80s and stuff like that yeah. you know predominantly white families we're comfortable talking about finances money. and credit and money. And, and, and didn't think twice about it. No. You know, one of my favorite movies growing up was License to Drive. And his, the epitome of, that Charlie, was like. Charlie Sheen? No, Corey Haim and Corey, Corey Feldman. Feldman. Yes, 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 yes. yes his yes. first car was going to be a BMW. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a kid. Yeah. Who already lives in a beautiful home. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, again, that's a something. Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, just create conversations so that it's something that your children or whether it's you're the older brother or you're the younger brother, get your family talking about things that are not normally spoken about. And that'll be the best way for us to help each other learn and grow with each other. We have to share these moments and share these things. That's yes, true. Yes, sir. And, and real quick, before I give my final thought, yo, you just touched on something real quick that reminded me of something. I remember being in junior high school and, um, I, I, like the schools So I had a culture shock When I got to law school Because it was obviously Just the way law school goes It was predominantly white Like unless you go to An HBCU law school It's going to be Most likely predominantly white And When I was in junior high school It was um, A lot of black and brown people But it was, a, it was a, a Sprinkle of white people too And I remember Them talking about Beverly Hills 90210 And I could never watch. The so show. wait, wait. So I gotta, I gotta give this quick story. Girlfriend. So did, but I, I was like, oh, this is what some people are, are watching. Let me try to watch it. Yo, I watched not even one episode. I watched five minutes of an episode, and it was a character that was about to go to the prom, and he was like, he said something to the effect of, oh man. I'm just going through it right now and his friend was like Yo what's wrong He's like yo About to go to the prom yo, I don't know whether or not To like Take the Porsche Or the Corvette Right then and there That's it I was like We're done I'm, I'm good I'm good Yeah I'm good We are not on the same You know what Like what No it, it doesn't mean that I don't want to get there yeah. Or want But like oh, right God. now I cannot bury myself Into this type of show I can't relate to that no, shit No man like The that Porsche whole or the show Corvette I can't relate I'm like I'm, to. I'm good Click. I'm good Click. I'm, yeah, There's I'm no Heather Lockleys in my yeah, in my no, neighborhood. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And I definitely don't have a choice of a Porsche or a fucking Corvette. Mercedes. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, it's a wrap. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. But Damn. here's my final thought. 
So one thing that Brother Keenan, sorry, Dr. Keenan Davis yes. talked about was not moving out and just forgetting about the hood. And I want to be make, make something very, very, very clear. We have all, myself, Ryan, Malik, have physically removed ourselves from the environment that we grew up in. But don't think for a split second that we've forgotten about the environment that we grew up in. No. So I want to just talk about real quick our future plans. So Smoke and Ashes is an establishment that we have started, and it's a beautiful place for our people to congregate, network, chill out, relax, enjoy themselves. But that's just step one of a grander plan. And the final part to our plan in terms of business-wise, we have many ventures that we want to get into, which we will speak about in the future on this podcast. But the final plan or the final stage to that plan is something we're trying to, not trying to, something we are going to do, which is called the Bronx Borough Mentorship Program. So we are very, very keen on the idea of giving back. So everything we've been talking about now throughout this episode in terms of financial literacy, in terms of financial planning, in terms of entrepreneurship, in terms of everything, we are going to start a not-for-profit program in the Bronx teaching kids about everything that we've talked about in this episode and more so that kids that grew up just like how we grew up can see people that grew up just like them that look like them to inspire them and to give them knowledge on things that we are going to do that we want them to understand just as a people and giving them the tools to be successful so don't think for a split second that we left and are like all right peace we out we're not thinking about this shit anymore no what we're doing now is we're building steps to get to the point one brick at a time exactly building steps so that when we can get to the point where we can start this not-for-profit organization to help the people in the neighborhoods and the environments that we grew up in and on that note it's a wrap for this episode hit us up for any questions or comments that you might have for those listening on the podcast hit us up on ig twitter facebook at sna live podcast and as usual in the words of shirley chisholm if they don't give you a seat at the table bring a folding chair we out you have just been listening to the sna live experience